Chicago's Game Day on ESPN 1000. Second and ten, here's the play fake. Game day. Man, is it? Let the fun begin. On ESPN 1000. Uh, welcome on in. Fred Hubner along with Chris Black. 312-332-3776. Usually in our open, you hear a lot of other sports highlights. In this one, you heard all Brian Urlacher highlights. And if Dick Stockton can get his name right, yeah. everybody should be able to. Yeah, that's a good point, Frank, because uh, if you're a Bears fan and you watch Bears football, uh, Dick Stockton, not so good. No. So if he can nail it, then hopefully everyone else can. Yeah, that'd be really, really nice. What a night for Brian Urlacher, though. It was great. It was very, very cool. Uh, Brian Urlacher, not uh, a guy that likes to talk, period. Not a guy that likes to talk yeah. to the media. He does talk very fast. His speech was 19 minutes. Just imagine if he talked at a normal pace. Yeah. I mean, it would have been 23, 30 uh, as it was, you had Ray Lewis go 33 minutes, which I think was three minutes short of the unofficial record of Brett Favre. <laughs> Favre's was 36 minutes, I guess. Um, but Ray Lewis went 33 minutes. To be honest with you, and you want to jump in and talk about the Urlacher speech, 312-332-3776. If you missed the whole thing, we'll play it again later on today around 1030. So you can um, you know make sure you get to the uh, radio and listen or whatever listening device you were listening to it on. But uh, it was very, very cool. And I knew he was going to... It's very difficult to talk about uh, your entire career and not break up unless you're an accomplished speaker. I mean, it's sure. it's difficult. I don't know about you, Chris, but I've given speeches to people before mm-hmm. and you get you get choked up and it's really difficult. I was not surprised. Erlacher, like 75 seconds in, he already was starting to get choked up. And I know you were commenting when you were playing it uh, about uh, tearing up. And anybody that's a Bears fan yeah. with a heart, um, if you didn't tear up a little bit, sure. something's wrong with you. Yeah, you know, and you think about you think back to like what are the crowning moments of his career? Mm-hmm. Uh, many will say the Arizona game, yep. the crown him game where the Bears came back, I believe, down twenty in the second half, yep. and the defense led the way, led the charge. And not only that, but like what the the coaches say that he had twenty five tackles in that one game, plus the the strip fumble that was led to a touchdown for Tillman. Uh, you have that game. You have a whole bunch of other games. I'll always remember on the lakefront one of the coldest games. I've ever attended against the uh, Atlanta Falcons and Michael Vick and how good that team was. Mm-hmm. But the Bears beat them on that night yeah. and Rex Grossman came back in the second half. But really, I remember Brian Urlacher chasing Michael Vick step for step all over the field. Right. And Vick, who was this unbelievable flash in the NFL and everyone talking about him being an MVP candidate and all this stuff. But we had a guy who was just as good on the defensive side. But, you know, 
if you're going to talk about emotions in the moment, it's definitely holding up the trophy when the Bears won the NFC sure. to then go to the Super Bowl. That's the crowning moment I think of when I think of the career of Brian Urlacher. Yeah, it was amazing. All the highlights they showed of him and um, the interceptions and, and and the whole Bob Babbage speech ahead of time was was very, very cool. How Babbage talked about him and uh, those. I like the way they're all done where they don't, you know, it used to be where the presenter would go up there sure. and give the speech. Yeah. And this way it's great because not only can the presenter talk about it and and, and do it, and probably make sure it's perfect. Right. But also they can run highlights throughout it, and you're not just sitting there watching a person um, giving the speech. I think they do a great job um, at the at the Hall of Fame. I've not been there. My brother was supposed to go, but he could not make it. He actually had his ticket, but was unable to make it on out there uh, for the uh, induction. Uh, there were a lot of Bears fans out there from what we hear, and I know when Abdallah joined you last hour, he said a lot of Eagles fans, a little bit closer for, from Philly, I think, to Canton. Well, it's closer, and then also... The- the rallying cry of a Super Bowl champion team. Like, come on, being a F- Eagles fan, yeah. you're at an all-time high right now. You're Where, not kidding. You know, the, the Bears have, have taken a dip here, not making the playoffs in many years. Mm-hmm. We're on the rebuild. I get it that you're still there to support the guy getting inducted, but it's a different feel. When the Bears are good, everyone comes out of the woodwork. Yeah. You know, like, like it's a little bit different feels. So I get it. There are more Eagle fans there. That's fine. But the Bears fans are there, and, and Brian heard them, and he acknowledged them, and yeah. he made a point to say, I only played in one uniform because of how great the city of Chicago is, and that's pretty cool. No, it was great. You're going to get me choked up here. Yeah, well, uh, that's what I'm trying to I'm trying to get you to cry, Fred. That's, that won't be a difficult thing. Well, how about this? So with last night's class, as, as we were sitting there watching it, mm-hmm. uh, you know what's interesting? You look at it, and the stats kind of suggest that this could be one of the greatest Hall of Fame classes ever to be inducted. Right. With Ray Lewis, Randy Moss, Dawkins, Erlacher, all these guys, right? No quarterback. I know. Isn't that pretty interesting? One, one of the greatest classes ever yeah. to be inducted, yet no quarterback. And I, I think that is also cool because all of these guys should be celebrated as well. But usually the quarterback leads the way. Right. There's no quarterback this you year. You have two of the best middle linebackers of all time. Yeah. You have two of the greatest receivers of all time. And a even hell of though, a safety. Right. Even though T.O. wasn't there, you have two of the best sure. you know, uh, receivers of all time. So, right, yeah, it's a pretty good uh, good idea. I mean, obviously, someone, no doubt, someone somewhere has broken down all the classes sure. and ranked them all because that's what people like to do. We'll talk about the Bears, the current Bears, at 930. Kevin Fishbane from The Athletic will join us. Adam Rittenberg at 1010 will join us to talk college football. I know. You think you're listening to Abdallah yes. in black. Uh, I've got... Come I've on, got, Fred. Jump aboard. We're, we're getting 20, ready for the college season. Yeah, I got 20 things from college football that Adam Rittenberg wrote about the other day. I got a couple of questions for him, and then Black is going to grill him, and uh, we'll get oh, into yeah. some college football stuff. Uh, Brian Erlacher's speech, we'll replay that around 10.30. A little after 11, Brett Taylor from Bleacher Nation will talk some Cubs baseball. It's funny, they talk about... The Cubs bullpen yesterday. The Cubs scored five runs in the first inning. They didn't score again. The Padres bullpen was pretty good, or the Cubs hitters weren't all that good. They had a nice second inning with the five runs, but they didn't score again after that. They hung on. Kyle Hendricks getting a win. He went five and two thirds. Cubs are 16 and six in their last 22 home games. That's what you're supposed to do at home. Win your home games. So they're doing it. They wrap up that series with the Padres today. John Lester on the hill. And while they were doing that, Milwaukee was up north beating Colorado again, so the Brewers remain one game back, so we'll talk some more Cubs baseball. But a lot of talk, obviously, about Brian Urlacher, about the Hall of Fame. One of the coolest things Brian Urlacher did this whole weekend, 
uh, is he told first he told Jared Payton, I got a surprise for you. And then yeah. in the parade yesterday that goes through the streets of Canton and just amazing. It's not even I mean, LaGrange has the pet parade and people gather <laughs> in the streets. I can't imagine how many people are on the streets for the, in Canton for the parade. I don't right. I don't know that it was a ton of people. I'm well, not exactly sure how many people were on the streets for the parade. Because it didn't look like it was really crowded. I don't know from some of the scenes I saw. But it kicks off the day's celebration. It does. And you get all the Hall of Famers and the Corvettes and you drive through the town. Uh, Yeah, tell everyone what if they didn't see the photos or didn't see the video of it, what was the surprise? The coolest uh, thing. One of the coolest things. Brian Urlacher talks so much about being a Chicago Bear and being with the Bears his entire career. And there he is. In the convertible, waving to the people, wearing a Walter Payton jersey. Yeah, it's How great. cool was that? It's so cool. Right from that point on, you everything was cool. The whole day, the rest of the day was cool. Plus how he was sweating through his jacket before the speech started. <laughs> the back of his jacket was completely just sweat-laden. It was uh, all over the place. One of the other cooler things, a lot of the Bears players that he played with were there. When he gave a shout-out to Dusty Dvorak, I said, Really? I mean, people forgot he was even here for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. We knew he was here for a year or two, but I think Brian said three years. I didn't realize it was that long. But one of the cooler things, and this was on the uh, Chicago Bears Twitter site earlier yesterday before the uh, induction speeches, and this was Alex Brown talking to Lawrence Creedon, who does the um, the show with Spice, does the uh, Bears show that they put together and is on uh, throughout the uh, season. Listen to what Alex Brown had to say. This was getting me all choked up because we've all worked with Alex. Okay, Alex is one of the coolest guys. And during the speech, Brian Urlacher talked about one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Listen to what this meant to Alex Brown. It's incredible, honestly. I mean, I think, let me just say it like this. The entire thing is incredible. The fact that one of your friends is going in makes it just insane, honestly. I mean, I don't. I don't know how to put it in words. I don't really feel like I'm going in, you know, but I can't imagine it feeling any better if I went in. Like, this is absolutely unbelievable. Okay, I'm not going in, all right? This is for the special of the special, and he is part of that. And I think from what we saw all those years playing together, it is very gratifying to see other people get to appreciate that now. And it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Is it surreal now being here? I mean, we've talked about it before. You knew this was coming. But yeah. being here in the stadium now, is it surreal? Well, yeah, it, it is. It's You see all the people. You see you see the Eagle fans. Every time anything Cowboys come up, they boo. Like, everything is just so, so crazy. Everything is so big. And now he's in a place. Yes, there he is. There he is. Yes. Yes. That's absolutely insane. He is up there and he has a gold jacket. Come on. Come on. That's my guy. That's old. That's my guy. That's just unbelievable. That's awesome. Alex Brown is a guy that the passion comes out every time he talks. And when he does the Bears post-game stuff on NBC Sports Chicago, and he's sitting there next to Lance Briggs trying to decipher another bad loss, uh, <laughs> he gets really mad. This was so cool because as they're talking, as Lauren Screeden and him are talking, um, they put Erlacher's name picture up on the screen and talk about you know all-time leading tackler and all that stuff, and just the enthusiasm that he had. Yeah. You know, his play that Erlacher's players had for him, it shows you what this guy meant to this team. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Brian said it during his speech. He wanted to be the best teammate possible. He clearly was, right? You hear what all of these guys had to say. You hear the fans who went. It was outstanding. It was such a great speech and uh, a perfect way to end it. As David Haw wrote in the Tribune this morning, you know, that's the way to finish a bookend career. Yeah. It was fantastic. And if you're a Bears fan, you got to be happy. You got to be uh, proud beyond belief. And you got to watch him play here. It's yeah, cool. it was absolutely wonderful. 312-332-3776. You want to jump on in. The whole Brian Erlacher uh, speech. The whole the whole Hall of Fame weekend. I mean, when you don't, when there's not a guy that you saw play, Hall of Fame weekend comes and goes. You right. don't really care. You think about it and you go, okay, well, maybe somebody will say something cool. Jerry Kramer actually before, right before Erlacher, was really good. I just saw like about the last five or ten minutes of um, Jerry Kramer, and he was awesome, telling stories about, you know, drafted by Green Bay. Where's Green Bay? And he's talking, he's doing all this stuff, and he's reading, uh, you know, quotes from poems and things like that. And then Erlacher has to follow. And you knew it was going to be a different speech. There wasn't <laughs> yeah. going to be many quotes from speeches or songs, or, I mean, you know, from poems or songs when Brian Erlacher got up there. It was a completely different thing. But he let everybody know it was not going to be about him. It was going to be about the people that helped him get there. Yeah, and that's absolutely. what that was great. You know, and uh, what's funny is you mentioned uh, the sweat uh, before he yeah. went up there. L- listen, nobody anywhere sweated as much as Ray Lewis while yeah. he was giving his TED Talk last <laughs> night. I mean, uh, what was that? I, I mean, that's amazing. I, it's- well, he knew it, too, because he had the t- he had a handkerchief and he was <laughs> yeah. wiping his brow throughout the entire thing. I mean, I mean that, that, was that jacket was nasty yeah. by the end of it. But it was a great speech in its own right. And, uh, you know, it's it's cool because... You get to hear the different eras. You get to hear uh, just kind of what makes all of these guys. So I, I think, you know, what's interesting is we sit there yesterday and we watch all the highlights. I wonder what is the one moment most people take away from Brian Urlacher's career? You know, is it the Arizona game? Right. Like, I, I remember where I was because it was a road game. So yeah. all of us were watching it at home. Yep. Uh, I was in college at Columbia at the time. Uh-huh. I was in my dorm room. I remember when the Devin Hester punt return was completed i flipped my bed in my dorm room up on its side you know uh-huh. the crappy dorm room sure, beds. sure i was so excited i flipped it up i mean that game like i don't know if i've ever been as jacked for a bears game than than the end of that game yeah you know what i'm saying like because the way it crescendoed at the end and they came back they won you know how terrible the offense was at the start dennis green flipped out afterwards yeah, yeah. dennis green and that's why we have lasting memories of that game is because right. that quote lives on i'm i wonder if more people have different games that they hold on to was it the saints in the mc championship game was it um you know uh, the games in atlanta the game here in chicago against the falcons that i talked about earlier you know what what games come to mind for you well i mean it seems like every packer game came to mind because oh, yeah, just yeah, yeah. just him going against Favre and then him going Aaron against Rogers, Aaron yeah. Rodgers yeah. i mean going against both of those at times and some of the highlights they showed him chasing down number 4 then him chasing down an Aaron Rodgers and things like that every time they met you could you knew it was turned up a little bit and there's bears fans out there and they may or may not admit it but you remember late in Erlacher's career, the last couple of years, mm-hmm. there were a lot of people jumping on the, he's finished, he can't get himself off of blocks, this, 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 and this. Yeah, he would get stuck. Yeah, and it happened quite a bit. There may have been to that point. My, it was funny because my wife asked me, why did he retire? Because he mentioned, he goes, I never had a chance to say goodbye to the fans. Right. And 
I was sitting back and I could not remember exactly why. Well, he was kind of forced out, right? It was a thing where they weren't really going to bring him back and he didn't want to go anywhere else. It just went into the offseason and that's just kind of how it faded off. It just ended. No no one. Let's. If we went back, someone probably would have signed him, but he didn't want to sign anywhere else. And the current regime here in Chicago didn't want to bring him back. So it kind of just. Ended. Yeah, and for the longest time, you thought there was a little bit of a, you know, hard feelings and he right. hadn't been around and things like that. And he, you know, over the last couple of years, you can tell everything's been smoothed, smoothed sure. over. Rightfully so, too. Right. And I don't think that he has any, maybe if he had hard feelings, they probably went away within a year or six months. I mean, I think he probably feels that when he retired, that was probably the right time. After the 13 years of playing, that was probably the right time to leave. Yeah, and uh, he did, and he walked away. It was just, it was just so great to see guys like Olin Cruz, who at first I didn't even recognize. I mean, I know he's from Hawaii, but man, that tan is like killer. <laughs> okay, and then, and then you saw Charles Peanut Tillman there, and you saw Mike Brown with the Bears hat on, and um, Julius Peppers was sitting there with his Carolina Panthers uh, shirt on. Don't these guys have stuff of their own? They got to wear. They no, gotta wear no, no, no. Team you got to support the team. Come you on. Got to wear a team given, uh, you know, attire. That's what they were doing. So 312-332-3776. Your thoughts on the Brian Urlacher uh, enshrinement speech last night. We'll play it again around 1030. And also, if you didn't cry or didn't tear up, you got to let us know because it, then you have no heart. You're not really <laughs> you a Bears no fan. Soul, you have sir. no soul. You have no football soul. Come on. Let's go on out to uh, I-80 and Rich. Rich, you're on ESPN 1000. What's happening? Hey, good morning. How you guys doing? We're doing great. How about you? Good, good, good. Hey, listen, I wanted to share a couple things. Uh, I was there with two buddies last night, so we're on our way home. That's why we're on I-80. Uh, fantastic night. Uh, hotter, hotter than blazes. <laughs> Not a great place to hear speeches in the sense that when Erlach is up there, if you're not a Chicago fan, you're not listening. Uh, when Ray Lewis was up there, you're not listening unless you're a Ravens fan. And, uh, you know, Philly with Dawkins, the same thing. But uh, it is quite a night. It, it's great for those guys to get up there. And I love the 10-minute max they were supposed to have. <laughs> yeah. Not ever. Uh, but all the speeches were good. And uh, just to let you guys know, it's uh, actually a shorter drive from Chicago to Canton than it is from Philly to Canton, because I lived in Philly for seven years. Uh, And I'll tell you, the two fan bases, very similar. You know, they love their football teams. Uh, They are passionate about their football teams. And unfortunately, Philly and Chicago, I've been in Chicago for 20 years, have, have had limited success. But yet the fan base loves them. The fan base cries when they lose, cheers when they win. Very, very similar. So it was fun for me seeing uh, those two fan bases there. But you ever get a chance, it's too bad. I think one of you said your brother was going to go. Yeah. You go. It's, it's great. The parade is, you know, fun and, and all that stuff. But, uh, uh, you know, being being out there and, and having this team connected to the McKinley if you're a football fan and you know anything about old style football and and great high school football in Ohio, I mean it, it's just a fantastic venue. They they do a great job out there to put this thing on annually. So, hey, I just wanted to tell you, Erlacher did a great job. 
as much as we could hear. Uh, <laughs> really, really enjoyable and a lot of fun. And you guys got to put on your bucket list. Even if a Bears guy isn't going in and your bucket list has you going for a player you like, you, you should just go. It's, you know, it's like, it's like going to, uh, to the Super Bowl, sure. even if your team is in or going to a golf, you know, uh, uh, going to the PGA or heading to Augusta or anything like that. It's, it's a great affair. So Rich. I just wanted to that day. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, be careful on the way home. Uh, we appreciate the call. And, uh, yeah, I can imagine when, when one guy's talking, uh, if you yeah. don't care, well, it's going to be difficult. I've, I've tried to give speeches or I've been to places where someone was talking and everybody else was talking. Oh, yeah, Fred, we've all been in grade school. I mean, have you yeah. ever been to an assembly? I yeah. mean, come on now. Exactly. That's how it works. <laughs> After the uh, the speech, Brian Erlacher talked to the media about his speech. Let's give it a listen. Was it everything you expected it to be? It was. I mean, it's hard because it's luckily you can't see the guys behind you and they're beside you, so you're not looking at them. But it, it was it was awesome. You know, I just it's probably still surreal for me right now. But you know, I'm sure it hit me the next couple of days when I get home. Were you nervous at all going into it? Hell yeah, I was nervous. <laughs> I didn't. Um, I'm not a good speech guy. If you didn't know that, I'm not a good talker. I hate talking in front of the team. I hate talking in front of anybody. It's just not my thing. Um, yeah, but you seem comfortable up there. I was not, but I got through it. You didn't see my hand shaking. You didn't see the whole thing. Didn't see that uh, well, at good because uh, I was I was nervous, but. Uh, once I got going, you know, everything I talked about I was comfortable with. You know, it was my family, my friends, my teammates. I'm a little mad I didn't – you know, it's, it's hard to get all your coaches in there. There's so many people that helped me, and I couldn't get them all in there because I wanted to be respectful of everyone else's time. So I just had them all stand up and try and get them in that way. Are you upset that you didn't get Lovey's name in there? No. He probably been like, he probably be like, don't worry about it anyway. And Greg Bloss didn't say him either. You know, no, I didn't say one coach said Bob, right? You're right. That's the one I said. You know, that he, he presented me. This one, my friend, he presented me, so I needed to get him in there. But it's just – I. Just hard to get everybody in there. Not Brian, enough time. Brian, were you feeling the, the passion that you played with and the humor that you had? You had fun with the game. Was that all wrapped in this speech? Were you yourself up there? I thought I was. You know, when I wrote it and got some stuff on paper, I, wa- I didn't want to be too serious. That wasn't me. But I also wanted to be heartfelt because that's also me as well. You know, especially with my family, my friends, and my teammates. Um, I think that came through a little bit, but also try to be funny. It was hard. I try to be. Can you encapsulate what the week was like in, in a simple term? I feel like I just got here. Now I'm, it's over. You know, I'm glad that we made it through the weekend. Uh, just such a huge buildup. You know, for the, for these three four days. Uh, you know, you work for six months to get everything done when you get here. Uh, my wife did a great job this week. I mean, I'm a pain in the ass. There's no doubt about it to deal with. And she did it all week long with me. She got everyone where they needed to be. Uh, my kids are troopers. They're just uh, they're just awesome. It was as heartfelt as I've ever heard you talk, and and you really struggled to hold back tears when you talked about mom. And the like like I said, if I don't look at who I'm talking about, I'm okay. You know, my mom was tough. Obviously, she's not here. But if I, if I didn't look at my kids, I was talking about them, I'm okay. But I didn't want to see their faces when I was talking because I knew I'd lose it. Yeah, I was looking at Pam and oh, jeez, I, I, I know they, I know they were losing. You. Well, it was you know. It, when you're talking so about proud you, of their dad, yeah, I'm I mean. proud of them. You know, it's mutual. Uh, my kids are amazing. Uh, Obviously, we all think good about our kids. But my kids are special. They've been through a lot. Having a knucklehead dad like me, but, but they're awesome. You know what, Brian? I you seeing Coach Rivera here. Yeah. Julius Peppers, Greg Olson, guys who left training camp to be here to support yeah. you. Like not enough time to get it. I could have got 50 more guys in easily tonight, and if I had time, I would. But it's just too hard to do it to be respectful of everyone else's time. But man, just the outpouring of support I got from former teammates, friends. Uh, it, it's been amazing. Do you think that you got the message across that you want your legacy to be? Teammate, I all, all, all I care about, man. 
outside the locker room, besides my teammates and coaches, I didn't give a hell. My family, obviously, that was different. But, you know, when I was in that locker room and, and with the, my coaches, I was safe. You know, I knew nothing left. Whatever we're talking about didn't leave those walls. And I love being there all the time. And I thought that one of, the, one of the coolest things, and he mentioned it, is, you know, you have you have players, or actually, Lou, I think you mentioned it, you have uh, players who actually left training camp. Mm-hmm. To go to this and um, Greg Olson, yeah, yeah, that's very, very cool. Yeah, Julius I, Peppers I, was still playing. Yeah, I also <laughs> enjoy the uh, the post speech uh, press conference as well. Like th- this is great. I, <laughs> yeah. I love that we're treating his speech. We're doing a show on it. Yeah. We 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 have the post game presser from Erlacher after the speech. Yeah, uh, tomorrow we will have film breakdown. How many <laughs> tackles did he get when we dissect the? the There's film? no doubt. How many tears uh, were shed? Well, you'll, you'll hear happening. the whole. You'll hear the whole story tomorrow <laughs> with uh, with Waddle and Sylvie. There, there's fantastic. no doubt about that. As they are on their way back, we come back. We'll talk about the Bears on the field now. Down in Bourbon A, Kevin Fishbane from the Athletic joins us. Chris Black, Fred Hubner, right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. I'm easy like Sunday morning. Ah, it's not easy for the Bears in Bourbon A. That's right. Sunday morning is just like any other morning when there's an 815 practice. Chris Black, Fred Hupner back with you. We'll get back into the Brian Erlacher speech. We'll replay the speech about an hour from now, around 1030, as uh, he gave his uh, entrapment speech yesterday in Canton. But back to football on the field. And for that, we go down to Bourbon A and talk to uh, Kevin Fishbane from The Athletic. Kevin, uh, you know, when when you hear a guy like Matt Nagy say we're, we're a quarter of the season, away from the start of the season that makes it seem like a really long time before that opener against green bay doesn't it uh it certainly does it also uh harkens back to the old lovey smith uh, splitting the season in the quarters as well uh but yeah i mean we're, we're five weeks out uh and you know that's it's been a it's a long preseason for the bears i mean it's only you think about it, it's only one extra week but it, it feels longer one extra week is five extra practices one extra meaningless preseason game so yeah, I mean this thing this thing will drag a little bit. Uh, I think I think we'll see a bit of an uptick in terms of excitement, especially when they get to Denver for the joint practices and then have the games in Denver and the home game against Kansas City. And when we'll see a lot of the starters, uh, and then it'll be a slog for about two weeks until we get to Lambeau. Kevin, you're at practice right now. Uh, who's not practicing today, and what are you seeing? What are you watching right now down there in Bourbonnet that you can tell us about? Yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> sneak in something maybe that you can't. No one's listening. Yeah, um, no Kyle Long today. I, I would assume it's just a scheduled off day. They've been doing that with him throughout. Um, the new addition to the absent list is Taylor Gabriel. He's not practicing. Uh, we'll hopefully find out after practice uh, why that is. Uh, otherwise, the same group. You know, Aaron Lynch is still not uh, not practicing. Uh, no Josh Bellamy today. Um, so yeah, I mean they're they're healthier than they were last week. Uh, but you know that's kind of that's kind of how training camp goes in terms of just you kind of ebb and flow with these entries. Uh, as far as how practice has gone so far, they've been doing a lot of red zone work and some uh, work from like the five ten yard line. So we've been able to see some kind of fade patterns from Mr. Bisky, uh, Javon Wims caught a nice touchdown. Uh, there was a pass breakup against Adam Shaheen. Trey Burton had a nice catch, uh, and Anthony Miller uh, in one of the drills. He you know continues to be one of the stars of camp. Uh, beat Prince Amu Kamara for a score. So. Uh, you know, it's been. Uh, I think they're going to start kicking into high gear in a little bit in terms of score, the uh, eleven on eleven uh, physical team stuff. Because uh, yesterday, as Matt Nagy said, was a bit of a sloppy practice. So 
offense is off to a much better start today. I know that uh, defensively there was a there was a linebacker that had his first practice yesterday, or there actually a couple of them, but they weren't named Roquan Smith. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Chris. It's sorry right. to burst your bubble. Uh, but uh, Danny Trevathan actually got some practice time in, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He's in full pads, and it looks like he's I, you know he's not participating in everything yet, um, but he's gained out there a lot more. And then we got Joel E.A. Booneyway, or Iggy, uh, the fourth-round pick, uh, practiced yesterday. and He's also kind of working his way back. He's been out with a shoulder injury. Uh, you know, the, the thing with the inside linebacker guys is it's given Nick Kwiatkowski an opportunity to have a really good camp. And John Timu has also played well. I thought Timu played, uh, looked pretty good in the preseason game as well. So, you know, ideally, obviously, when, when they're in Lambeau, you know, it's Trevathan and probably Kwiatkowski, and then after a few weeks, you'll eventually get Roquan Smith in there. Uh, but at least for the Bears, it's, it's positive for them to see some of their reserve guys, some of their backups playing well uh, at a very important position in this defense. Okay, so we know it's early, and we know it's just practice, and Trubisky didn't play in the first preseason game. But what, but what have you seen from Mitch so far throughout camp, the good, the bad? What, what's your assessment from just seeing him in year two uh, with a new offense, but year two as a pro? Well, he has thrown a lot of interceptions, and it's a weird thing because you can't ignore it. Obviously, it, it, it's happening. You're, you're watching it. But I, I do kind of side a little bit with Matt Nagy in the fact that one of the reasons it's happening is because Mitch is kind of experimenting a little bit, getting to know this offense, figuring out what plays he likes, which ones don't work, and letting it rip. I mean, it's the complete opposite of what the coaching staff wanted him to do during the season uh, once he got in there last year. So, you know, the, the skill set stuff, the stuff that we know, the arm strength, the nice deep, you know, the deep ball is probably something I've written about this a couple of times at The Athletic. You know, last year in camp, when they did kind of let Mitch throw it, like that was what separated him most from Mike Glenn. And Mike Glenn's deep ball was very inaccurate, and Mitch's was pretty. And we've seen that. And, and then during the season, I think Mitch was one of the lo- lowest-ranked players in terms of actually throwing the ball down the field in the entire league, which is not a surprise considering who the coach was. And now back in camp, we're kind of reminded, oh, yeah, he does throw a really nice deep ball, and he actually has guys he can throw to on this team uh, that can run under and catch it. So, you know, we, we've seen some nice things. I, I think it's still a work in progress with his offense, just him getting on the right page with everything, with the playbook, with his receivers. And he's also going against a, a veteran defense that kind of knows what's coming uh, often, even even against the new offense. So it's been challenging for him at times. Uh, it, it's been definitely what you kind of expect from a second year uh, where, you know, kind of every time you see a couple of good throws, then you'll see an interception, then a few more good throws. So, you know, it's hard to get a really great evaluation on him so far. Kevin Fishbane from The Athletic, nice enough to join us from Bourbon A. The Bears working out as they gear up for Thursday's game against Cincinnati. Uh, we saw Javon Wims, and you mentioned him, seven catches, 89 yards the other day. Um, how many receivers will the Bears end up keeping? You got Robinson, Gabriel, Miller, White. I guess Bellamy, because not only he's a receiver, but also a special teamer. Is Javon Wims a guy that can possibly stick as a sixth? And do you keep more than six receivers? Yeah, well, you know, Benny Fowler is kind of the guy he's competing with. And Fowler is a special teams veteran. Uh, he was in Denver with the Bears' current assistant special teams coach. Um, but Fowler did not help his cause in the game Thursday with a couple of drops. And obviously, Wims really stood out. The thing is, if Wims continues having good preseason games, the Bears are going to struggle to try to sneak him into the practice squad. And then they're going to have to figure out what to do with him because, you know, we, I have not seen him do a ton of special teams. Okay. And if you think about the, a normal game, you're going to have, as you mentioned, Robinson, Gabriel, Miller, White. How many receivers do you really need in the offense? So if they keep him as the sixth receiver, it's very possible that he's inactive 
a decent amount early on uh, until, you know, they figure out, you know, or find some packages for him, if they like him, whether it's in the red zone or, you know, that that's a way to kind of keep him on the team. Um, but, you know, still get him used to what he needs to figure out in terms of his route running. But listen, he showed a lot in that first game and he's shown a lot in practice that he's, he's worthy. Um, and, and if the Bears feel like they need extra help, they might be forced to keep seven receivers and keep Benny Fowler just for special teams and, and, and take away from another position. But as this Roquan Smith thing lingers, as you look at some of the injuries in the secondary, uh, you know, it's hard for them to keep extra players in certain positions if they need to keep extra at some position where guys are hurt. What have you seen from Leonard Floyd so far at camp? So Leonard's been really quiet. Uh, until yesterday. Uh, I went over to watch some of the one-on-one pass rush shows, and it was kind of like eye-opening. He's like, oh, yep, there's Leonard Floyd. That is the guy that you know is, is has the potential to be a Pro Bowl player, um, you know, showing off different moves. Uh, and and it seems like he kind of carried that on into, the, into today. They were doing some uh, pass protection drills where it was tight end versus uh, edge rusher, and he was doing pretty well in those drills too. So, you know, I, I think it's still him just getting used to that knee, feeling comfortable, getting back to full speed. Even Vic Banjo admitted last week that, that Leonard was still working his way back from that injury. So I think it's a good sign this weekend that we're finally starting to see some of that speed and power that he's capable of. Here's the best thing, though, Chris, about Leonard Floyd. Mm-hmm. He hasn't missed a practice yet. That's and good. It, it's, it sounds so simple, um, and you can say the same thing about Kevin White, but for guys like that, that is the number one most important thing for them is just to be out here every day. Yeah, they always say that a big part of a lot of things is just showing up, and uh, he's been showing up, and that's a good thing. Um, you know, they they've had, they played a game, and have you had any reaction to the helmet rule after the first game because it was called, what, four or five times in the game? Did you get any reaction from coaches or players on that rule? Um, not a ton. Matt Nagy talked about it yesterday. Uh, you know, I think that they all expect it to be called a lot more in the preseason as the officials try to figure out what, you know, try to get their footing and try to figure out what is and is it the penalty. I, I guess that the, the, the call on Nick Orr in the end zone actually was not a helmet rule penalty. That was a defenseless receiver situation, so that had nothing to do with the new helmet rule. Um, I, I wasn't watching the broadcast, but I guess on the broadcast they thought that was a helmet rule violation, but the league has said it was not. So that maybe provides a little more clarity, uh, but it's going to be an interesting next four, you know four games to continue to watch this rule develop and, and, and seeing how it's called. I think all these players and coaches at this point are expecting to be called a lot more in the preseason, maybe than the regular season, uh, as as these officials try to figure out what it is. And, and one thing, guys, this is just my personal opinion on it: all these officials have these earpieces, right? And they're connected to each other, and the head officials connected to New York. I feel like it'd be so easy. For if they throw a flag for a helmet rule, they can just tap the mic and say, hey, Al, you know, we, we've got a helmet rule situation. Al Riveron watches the replay in New York, says to him, hey, no, it was his shoulder, not his helmet, pick up the flag. That would take 30 seconds. And I wish that that would be how they handle this rule is not what they're going to do, of course. Um, they're going to trust the officials to make the call on the field. Uh, but it, it's going to be it's going to be frustrating a lot of times. I think the guys are just trying to they're trying to ignore it. I talked to a couple of defensive players after the game, like Deion Bush, who's known for his hard hit, uh, and he said he's like he admitted that he was thinking about it. But he said if I think about it, it's going to negatively impact my play. I just have to play free and keep my head up and hope for the best. So I think a lot of these guys are trying to keep it out of their mind even though they are a little bit worried about getting flagged for it. You know, you brought up a great point, it, 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 well, only because it 
you know, it kind of agrees with me. Uh, when it <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to baseball, yeah. I feel the same way. They should have like a fifth umpire up in the press box watching the game, like we all do, or in their big facility that they spent millions of dollars on, and they can just hit the button and say, "Hey, you got that call wrong. Change it." But they they want these referees and the officials to f- still feel they have some power to make decisions. Instead, we're sitting there waiting and waiting. The very first call they made the other day took like three minutes. It's like, come on, you can't do this each and every time. Yeah, I'm with you, Fred. And and, and you're absolutely right about the, you know, they want to try to make sure these officials still feel like they have some autonomy uh, on the field. And, and what's going to be interesting is we're going to see that with the catch rule because we're going to see fewer of these catch-no catches overturned. So that's going to give the officials in the field um, you know, more of the power when it comes to plays like that than they have had in the past few years. But yeah, this helmet rule is just going to be, a, it's going to be like the catch rule. It's going to yeah. be, you know, now the one thing that they can review is they can overturn an ejection. So if you eject a guy for a helmet penalty, you know, they can go back to New York and they can overturn that and just, but it's still a 15 yard penalty. I mean, it's a major penalty. Uh, so, you know, that's one of those things where, you know, I wonder, you know, we're going to see a lot of calls in the preseason and maybe that'll help stick how often it's called during the regular season. It's just going to be an experimentation thing for all the officials and all the players. Roquan Smith is still not in camp. The holdout is still going on. Um, My question to you, Kevin, is which side are you on in this conversation? And is this a bad look for the Bears organization that they're not conceding with the contract demands of Roquan Smith? So I always take the player side in these situations. Um, and, you know, it, that's just a basic, my personal opinion is I'm usually going to side with a player who is only going to, is entering a, a profession with a career average of three and a half years and he's about to go play for a multi billion dollar entity uh, that's not going away. So that's just like a very basic reason why I generally take the players. But I think when something takes this long, usually both sides are raw. And I hate to be on the both sides uh, part of it, but I do think that, you know, from a PR perspective, uh, as much as it seems like the Bears are trying, uh, I, I just think it's a bad look for a team that has been in last place four years in a row and finally drafts a guy in the first round that nobody has any questions about. Everyone was excited about Roquan Smith, and you can't get him at camp because of, you know, really nitpicky details. And it's easy for me to say because it's not my money. I'm not the one setting a precedent that could impact my contract language for the next few years. But I, I, I still believe that, like, when push comes to shove, you'd like to see the Bears just realize, like, we got to get this guy in here. On the flip side, though, guys, I'm also on the, along the lines of it, since it's gone for this long, if you're, if you're Roquan Smith, I feel like he is such a football guy. He is just all football all the time. He's got to be itching to play. He has a little power, too, where he can say, all right, I think, I think it's time for me to maybe make a concession or two to get into camp. So that, that's kind of where I stand at now. I think when it takes this long, you're hoping that both sides realize it and then just try to figure out which one budges first. Kevin, we really appreciate you jumping on for a few minutes. You'll be down in Bourbon A. You get to go to Cincinnati on Thursday. That'll be all kinds of fun. Uh, for, and hopefully you get to see it. We get to see a, a couple snaps from Mitchell Trubisky and the first team offense. That would be even more enjoyable. Thanks a lot. I'm sure we'll pester you again soon. 
All right, sounds good, guys. Take care. Thanks, Kevin. Kevin Fishbane from The Athletic. I was wondering, you know, speaking of contracts and money, does he have to deal with John Greenberg, or does he have to go higher up for that when he that's talks a, to that's his... That's a good question, Yeah, when he Fred, does his contract Because, you know, if it's stuff. Greenberg, then, yeah, you play hardball, yeah, right? heck, sure you do. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. You know, I don't know Kevin, if you... Should... I'm not showing up to camp until I get my demands met. I want my new deal before I go to cover the Bears. Take that, Greenberg. I don't know if you saw this. I know that they've been mentioning it on the sports centers, but... Uh, the Green Bay Packers, who were the Bears' first opponent mm-hmm. on uh, that Sunday night of uh, the opener, uh, their left tackle, David Bakhtiari, who basically spends more time on the sideline than he does on the field, was carted off the field at family night yesterday with a lower leg injury. That's, that's not a good thing for them. I, uh, not, I'm not cheering for Packer injuries. Well, we're just reacting to them. Well, Fred, add in to the fact that during the week, Jake Ryan... Linebacker yeah. out for the season with a torn ACL. I know. So, so the Packers have been hit with injuries early in camp, which then gets you back to the conversation of why are you doing a fan night? Why are you doing preseason games? It's so unnecessary. Just right. play the football games that matter yeah. because so many guys get hurt in football yeah. that it's almost impossible not only to get through training camp without any injuries or major injuries, right. but to get through like the first quarter of the season, sure, the first four weeks. Yeah. But so what's yeah, the point? The Packers have two uh, main guys go down this week. It's yeah. bad. Uh, Ian Rappaport reporting that uh, Bakhtiari will miss some practice time. It doesn't sound too serious. We'll keep you up on that, I'm sure, uh, as it happens. And uh, we come back. There, there's a guy in, in Minnesota who's wearing a hat around practice. And I, was, I wanted to get your spin on that and also ask some of the fans. 312 <laughs> 332-3776. Some college football. Uh, yes. I'm going to learn about college football this year. We got Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. He's going to join us a little after 10 o'clock. And Chris Black is going to help me out, too. Right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day. Only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Chris Black, Fred Hubner with you. Adam Abdallah, who usually joins us, he is... Now, he's not at Lollapalooza yet. He might be this afternoon. You never know. It's the final day of Lala. But uh, he's on his way back along with Waddle and Sylvie from uh, their excursion in Canton. He'll have a lot to talk about tomorrow, as will all the guys, uh, Carmen and Yurko, uh, tomorrow, along with Waddle and Sylvie. Uh, Chris, before we went to break, I mentioned I wanted to... There's a guy in the Minnesota Vikings, mm-hmm. and the newspaper article says, Hard-hitting safety, Andrew Sendejo is directing an unmistakable message towards the NFL through a play on a popular political slogan. Sure. He's wearing a hat around camp that says, Make football violent again. Uh, according to Sendejo, the hat was a gift from a former Vikings teammate. He says it fits good and it's black and I like it. It's got a good message. And uh, he said it applies more now than ever, obviously because of this new helmet rule. Um, he was asked what he thinks about the rule. He said, I don't. He later tweeted out an image. I of, don't yeah, think about it. Yeah, he said he <laughs> later. the best. Yeah, he later <laughs> tweeted out an image. I don't know if you saw this one of him wearing a modified helmet with the phrase always leading with the face mask. And it's a helmet with a face mask. <laughs> yeah. And it's got another face mask on, on the top. top of the helmet. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, make football violent again. And I bring it up because, you know, there are a million fans out there who are upset that football has gone the other way yeah and is trying um, to make itself more um i don't want to say pc that's not the right word but safer basically yeah and i think those people would say it's the wimpification of uh football you're saying is that the clear way that's as nice as you could say is that the way we can say it on the radio perhaps uh 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. I, I understand both sides. I understand those who are outraged that football is played because of head injuries and, and the data that we know from the head injuries to this point in time and how football as a society has really uh, avoided the conversation that yes. head injuries are, are something that uh, can really hurt someone in the long-term health of their life. Right. Uh, I also understand that football is football. And when I'm watching at home on my couch or when I'm at Soldier Field watching the, the Bears play, the best plays are usually the big hits. The big hits. And when you take away the big hits, now football is becoming less of football and more of just seven-on-seven seven pass and catch yeah. running around flag football, which is still fun to watch, but it's not the same. So I, I get both sides, and I don't know, Fred, what the, the answer is the best solution for everyone is Yeah, you're not jumping out of your seat on a, uh, a nice pass over the middle no but you're jumping out of your seat on a bit when that pass over the middle the guy gets popped yes and and you know who was someone in this city who did that the most it was lance briggs yes he did and lance once per game would pop someone over the middle and everyone would stand because it was awesome yep and I I like watching that. Yeah. I also, you know, you mentioned we're going to talk with Adam Rittenberg about college football in about 20 minutes here. Uh, I In college football, they have the targeting rule. And part of that rule is like the worst part of college football because determining the replay and figuring out if a guy was targeting intentionally right. or whatever – slows down a college football game and i don't want that in the nfl game because the game's already slow yeah so i get it you gotta protect the players but also it's what we like it's why we love football and there's been you know decades of the nfl you watch footage you watch the old films and it's a running back lowering his head into a defender yep. sure and just is. knocking him back knocking the snot out of him yep. like that's awesome walter payton was awesome because he did that uh-huh. i mean it, it's it's going to be weird the next 10 to 15 years how football evolves and changes and whether or not the wussification of the sport really continues this larger social commentary on how uh, maybe people aren't as enthralled in watching football where maybe they're going to start shifting towards other sports. Well, and I think that the, the helmet rule is just the start. Yeah. Okay. The helmet rule is the start. They they don't want you leading with the crown of your helmet. Do they have a similar rule? I mean, is the crown of the helmet rule the targeting rule in college? I mean, or is there, is there a little bit of a difference? No, I think it's the same. The problem in college, though, is if you are questioned with leading with your helmet, and if you hit a receiver with your helmet, you're automatically ejected. Like Bosa was in the yeah. So yeah. so like even if it's uh, not intentional, or if you get pushed into a guy, you're out. And that can dramatically change sure. a, a college football game. You know, if your your best safety is is thrown out early in the game for for something he didn't intentionally do, it, well, it's it's tough. We'll talk some college football. Adam Rittenberg from ESPN will join us in just a little bit right here on ESPN One Thousand. This is Chicago's game day only on ESPN One Thousand at ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Chicago's game day. Garcia's home. Hanson scores. Sox win. What a comeback. 
Zabisky escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look at him go. There's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall. It's gone. This is Chicago's game day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Hubner along with Chris Black. Adam Abdallah's got the, uh, well, he's got, I don't know, what would he, you think Abdallah would rather do? Be in the back or the front seat of a car driving from Canton back to home or sitting here with us for three hours? I don't know what the right answer is here, Fred, uh, but I think he would prefer to be with his guys, Waddle and Sylvie, right now. You think so? Okay. Well, let's go with that. I'm sure, I they think, take, I'm sure they took good care of him. Yeah, he's got the Sylvie snack bag, yep. which is uh, almost depleted, as he uh, told us two hours ago on ESPN 1000. He called in and let us know the update yep. on the Sylvie snack bag. Uh, Waddle driving with his uh, gloves on because he's a racer as they're wacky racing uh, their, their way across Ohio, Indiana, into Chicago. So. I thought when he said that they were listening to the Garth channel that he was like going to World? say that he was going to change <laughs> and say that he was listening to the bridge. The bridge is like um, uh, 70s and 80s rock ballads. Sure. Yeah. Well, well yeah. away. And I listened to it at, at, at times. Um, and uh, I thought that's what Waddle might have had on or the entire Chris Stapleton collection. That, I mean, some Leonard Skinner. I mean, come on now. I mean, Waddle gets down. And I, well, I'm a big Chris Stapleton fan, so I'm not, I'm not making fun of that. I, mean, I know that Abdallah would have a hard time. Because well, so, but here's the thing. When you're on a road trip, you can listen national. to different things. Like, road trips allow you to sample things that maybe you don't always listen to because you're just there in the car and it's all you have. And so, you have time, right? You got plenty yeah. of time. Yeah. So you might as well listen to a 13-minute Leonard Skinner song or the entire album of uh, Chris Stapleton uh, yeah. for Waddle's request. There's some good stuff. And I mean, I'm sure Abdallah threw on some Travis Scott and some other items as well to... Uh, to let T. Wads and uh, Sylvie know what's up. You know, I, I can just imagine when they get back, you're going to see Waddles. You're going to start listening to Abdallah's music yeah, and sure. vice versa. Yeah, no chance. No, no chance. Not going to happen? Yeah. Um, it is the final day of Lala, and it was interesting because it was raining down here about an hour and a half ago. But uh, it's, it's hot, Fred. Yeah, it's stay supposed, hydrated. And it usually it gets a little bit warmer after it rains. It's supposed to be warm today here for the final day as we see people heading to uh, Lala for the final day. And uh, you, I know you and Abdallah were guys that had gone there yeah. numerous times. I never attended because uh, obviously I'm old. Um, but they never, they rarely, if ever, had even one or two people. I wanted to see on the same day that I would want to go for. Well, Metallica was there a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, I would have wanted to go there, but then there was nobody else like the rest of that day. Yeah, sure. You know, if I'm going to go, you'd like to see like two or three or maybe four people, not just go there for one, you know, two hour show and have to be there for 10 hours. Well, yeah, it's it's the it's the entire day festival feel is why you go all day long. Like, yeah, of course, if you're a guy that just wants one band, it's not quite the the place to be. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Like, like it's it's the whole point is to be there, walking around all day long, drunk, and then you <laughs> you you know, the the high school kids are all over doing whatever they do now because I, for let me tell you, I know that uh, I'm the young guy in yeah. the room. I, most, I heard most you, days, you and Abdallah, the youngest yeah. guys at the station. Most days we're the young guys. We don't get this generation. Yeah, whatever those kids are doing and what we see in the streets here, and mm-hmm. and then what they do at Lollapalooza. I, 
Listen, we we were we behaved ourselves. Yeah, I mean, whatever's going Compared on to here, what's going on now, and and I know each and every generation has that. Like your generation yep. looks at the younger generation, and you say, "Hey, we never did that, and yeah. we never wore things like that." And what you're you're taking what? Uh, but let me tell you, uh, as a old millennial, uh, wow. Gen Z uh, does not mess around. I got to tell you, nobody wore jean shorts and black rock and roll T-shirts like <laughs> like us in the 70s. Okay? We were big with that. And uh, there was no doubt about that. My wife keeps saying, she goes, you have these. I said, I know I have jean shorts. I can only wear them in the yard or somewhere where I'm not going to see anybody I know because yeah. they keep telling me that they're out. But every time I go to a store... They're selling them still. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. Right. Like maybe all, they're coming back. Yeah. Well. Like high along school. With, you know, wide brimmed. You know, sports coats and yeah, big like, ties. Like young kids now wear a Led Zeppelin T-shirt, not because necessarily they like Led Zeppelin. It's because it looks cool and they sell it at stores for a lot shop. more money than it yeah, used to right. cost. Like, right. Yeah, yeah. A Rolling Stones shirt is yeah. not because you're a Rolling Stones fan. It's just uh, the way it looks. Uh, and you know, you know how it is. Uh, every guy that's at Lollapalooza is wearing a throwback NBA jersey and that's just like what, there's a lot of those that's what the uniform is yeah. for 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 bros going to Lala so uh tonight you have Jack White which I think you would enjoy to see uh Jack White yeah a couple songs what about Portugal the man they there's play the one tonight. song what's the one song yeah it's the one that's always on the radio yeah. that Cap loves so he thinks he likes Portugal the man that's but the only he's only song heard I know. one song yeah that's the only song uh, I Manchester know. uh orchestra plays tonight oh that's okay you, you don't like them? Uh-uh. Okay. I'm, scan- yeah, I'm scanning through uh, Odessa. You want to see Odessa? Mm-mm. Nope. Mm. Lil Uzi Vert? Nope. Don't know what that is. Sounds like an, sounds like something you get, you get checked on. <laughs> Rainbow <laughs> Kitten Surprise? That's the name of a group, huh? It is. Okay. No. Cigarettes After Sex? Nope. It's a band. But I, I'm scanning through. I, I don't see I, any Are there uh, any of those that you would enjoy watching? You know, I'm, and, and this is where I go back to the fact that I've uh, kind of faded out of uh, the cool range because I'm not like Jack White uh, to see him uh, strum on guitar. Yeah, uh, I'm good. See, here, here's the thing, Fred. I'm I enjoy the festival atmosphere. Right. And I'll I'll get drunk somewhere. That's sure. fine. Oh, I've done that many I, times. I'd rather watch sports than watch someone play music. Okay. So so to stand and watch someone play music with their eyes closed and they. You know, make sweet nothings to the guitar in their yeah. hand. That's not really for me. I'd rather watch uh, an NBA game, a football game, something like that. I'm not the biggest concert goer, and that's why I always make fun of Abdallah because Abdallah would a lot. enjoy nothing more to yeah. watch someone else stand on a stage and sing some songs. So, but you know what used to be, and I will we'll get to college football in a minute or two. Uh, what used to be the big thing was stage shows for college for uh, bands. Okay, the shows that uh, the band would put on. And in the sure. 70s and 80s, that was huge because they didn't. people didn't come out and just play. Right. Even the Rolling Stones didn't come out and just play. Zeppelin did, uh, but others, other of the, you know, you know, the Beatles back, that was way, be, that was before me, but the Beatles just came out and played because they didn't have to do anything else. Sure. But the other ones put on shows, you know, with the, the be, beginning of video screens and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know, are there still bands that come out and put on shows as opposed to just stand out there and play? 
Well, yeah. That was the so, big thing. That was why you would go to a concert as opposed to, you know, just sit and listen to the stuff. Sure. Like Friday night, Bruno Mars was the headliner. He puts on a show. I, w- I would have gone to see Bruno Mars. Last My night. My wife loves uh, Bruno Mars. One of the headliners was Vampire Weekend. They come out and they just play. Mm-hmm. You know, The Weekend also was a headliner last night. He right. probably puts somewhere in the middle. Like, he's not much of a. Uh, choreographed dancer but he probably has people around him on stage that put on a show like jack white he's just going to come out and do his and play his gig but uh-huh. you know uh so i mean it's to each his own and Lollapalooza is cool because it offers something for everyone and i think a lot of people used to think it was only for a specific type of music but now it's edm it's rap it's rock it's it's everything and there's usually an old timey act right to kind of relate one. to the and that this year is, you know, Vampire Weekend, Jack White. But Bruno. Vampire Weekend's not even, I mean, Vampire Weekend's like, how old? Like but, three years? But or? Vampire, no, Vampire Weekend was like hot maybe 10 years ago. Right, as really? like the up and coming band okay. at Lollapalooza. Now they're a headliner. So it's, that's kind of cool. But Tyler, the creator, did you want to go see him? No. Okay. Uh-uh. I'm, I'm trying to find someone. There's, uh, there, yeah, Post Malone, let, let me guess. You're a big Post Malone fan, right? No. Can we start that up? Fred Hubner's a big Post Malone fan. I don't even know what that is. Well, he's, a, he's an artist, and if you listen to Top 40 Radio, his songs are all over the place now. Are they? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I don't. Yeah, Top 40 is not what he used to be. Let's see. We talked about Travis Scott earlier. You're, I don't think you like Travis Scott. No. A lot of these, I just don't know their names. I See, I'm a big I'm big in the country now, so yeah, there's there's nobody country playing there. Yeah, I don't think there's so. There's no country. Yeah, no, you have to go Not, to Country Thunder for that. I'll either Lake Shake or, uh, yep. you know, that was there, and uh, I would have gone into that, or, uh, yeah, Country Thunder. But even Country Thunder takes it to the next step, because if you're not a diehard country fan, yeah. you're, you're, you're going to another country. Yeah, that, I mean, it's that, just Wisconsin, but yeah. it seems like another country. Yeah, Twin Lakes, Wisconsin. Yeah. Oh, welcome. Yeah, with, with the boots and everything else. I mean, I love country music, but you've got to really be into it to be there all day long. Uh, you're a Zed for, uh, fan, aren't you? Zed. No. Okay. All right. I, th- I thought you'd maybe Zed dip know, into the EDM a little. The no? only Zed I know is from the, the line from uh, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, Zed's dead? Yeah, Zed's dead, babe. When uh, Bruce Willis is riding the motorcycle. Uh, we're going to talk some college football. Perfect. I have, I have questions for uh, Adam Rittenberg. I have questions for you. And uh, we bring in Adam Rittenberg from ESPN.com. Adam, how are you today? I'm doing well, Fred. How you doing? I'm doing good. Chris trying to grill me on who I would go see at, uh, <laughs> at Lala. And I, I can't find anybody that I would want to go see. But what I did do, and, and Chris will tell you that he tries to drill college football into me on a year, you know, every, each and every week of every single season. And I'm more of an NFL guy. But I went and looked at your article the other day on 20 college football storylines from the offseason. And, at this time of year, you would love to be talking about quarterbacks and guys showing up or not showing up to media days. And unfortunately, this week it took a turn with the whole Urban Meyer and Ohio State being put on administrative leave with the uh, Zach Smith story. What's the latest, especially after uh, Urban Meyer came out and talked the other day? Sure, yeah. And when putting that story together about a week ago, you know, it was most of the kind of offseason deals. And then the biggest offseason story ends up. Uh, blowing up last week. It's certainly uh, still a, a very um, uh, unknown situation as far as how it's going to end, guys. You know, the investigation was launched last week. Ohio State named a, a leadership group to sort of direct that investigation that's made up partly of university trustees, three of them, 
and then three outsiders. And I hear some very good things about the outsiders in terms of keeping the integrity of that investigation. But you know, clearly, Urban Meyer needs to be talked to. Clearly, Gene Smith, the athletic director, needs to be talked to because whatever you believe out of Urban Meyer's statement and Zach Smith's interviews on Friday, the one thing that was very believable is that other people knew about the incident in 2015, the one that Urban was asked about at Big Ten Media Days, where he said he basically you know, kind of he just, he dismissed the whole thing. Where does the story come from? And then he walked that back in the statement on Friday with Zach Smith saying that that particular incident, uh, which was an investigation by the local police that did not result in an arrest or any charges, um, that Gene Smith, the athletic director, was the one that called him when that came to light in October of 2015 and said, Zach, you need to come back from recruiting. We need to talk about this. So clearly other people at Ohio State had knowledge of this incident. Now, how much they knew about what happened in 2009 when they were all at the University of Florida, that's a question. And certainly the big question is, Urban Meyer, if you knew about all of this, this history, even though it did never, it never led to uh, conviction of Zach Smith, why did you continue to have him on your staff? That's the big question that ultimately I think everybody at Ohio State, but especially Urban Meyer, needs to answer. Adam, the six members of this group that are looking into this situation, three of them are on the board of trustees for Ohio State. Is that a conflict of interest? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have brought that up, and I think that's a fair point. Um, I think the reason that they did that is to keep the other trustees uh, abreast of what's happening as it's going on. I spoke to a trustee on Friday who's not involved in the investigation, and she told me, listen, we, we as trustees want to see this thing uh, you know, a play out before we make any judgment about Urban Meyer's future and what's going to happen with this program. So I think those people are there, and I think it's a fair criticism of the uh, group, but I have heard some very good things, especially Joanne Davidson, I believe her name is, the 90-year-old former Ohio Speaker of the House. I I have heard some very, very good things about her as someone who will not chill for Ohio State, not going to protect the program, and if she feels like something is wrong, she's not going to to keep her voice quiet in in that group. So I, I do think the overall makeup of the group should be strong enough to make this a genuine investigation and ideally get some real answers because there's a lot of details that we don't know yet about uh, who knew what and when they knew it and then what they did about it. Adam, we'll keep following you at ESPN.com on the story. Looking at the Big Ten on the whole, was uh, Ohio State, I would think they usually are on a yearly basis, one of the leaders and one of the front runners. Were they, were they the number one pick in uh, the Big Ten media day as the, uh, the team to win the Big Ten conference? Yeah, well, Fred, unfortunately, they got rid of an official poll a few years ago. It's disappointing, but, but I know that uh, the folks at Cleveland.com put together a media poll every year that I participate in. And uh, Ohio State was a favorite, but a slight favorite. And this is before everything came out with Urban Meyer uh, over Wisconsin. Penn State is, is right there. Michigan is a team that a lot of people think is going to be improved, including myself. But I, I picked Ohio State before this happened. And we'll see what, how it plays out, but they are still an incredibly talented team, a great defensive line, great running backs, great receivers, and then the quarterback situation is a new quarterback, but a guy in Dwayne Haskins who might actually have a higher ceiling talent-wise than J.T. Barrett, who you know will go down as one of the most decorated quarterbacks in Big Ten history. So uh, now how they're dealing with it, without Urban Meyer, uh, they started practice on Friday. Uh, Ryan Day, who's the offensive coordinator, is the acting head coach. Greg Schiano, as you guys know, is on the staff. So is Kevin Wilson, the former Indiana coach. So there's a lot of experience on that coaching staff, and I think they'll be able to handle the preparation fine. But you guys know that it's different when your head coach is not there 
to get you ready for games. And that's, uh, that's certainly the, the timeline that a lot of people want to have some type of resolution here with Urban Meyer. You know, uh, Adam, the one thing that I always point to with Urban Meyer, and I know that we're uh, now talking just about on-the-field stuff, but I always say that he is the absolute best coach in college football if you're only playing one game. I know others have one more, Nick Saban, and other guys have built different programs elsewhere, but if you want one game coach, it would be Urban Meyer. How much, if he isn't around, would this affect this team going into this season? Yeah, it's a great point, Chris. I mean, he had a, a great bowl record. I mean, he still does. Uh, I remember I wrote about it, though, going into that playoff loss to Clemson. They obviously did play well in that game, but then last year they come back and beat USC in the Cotton Bowl. So you're right, he's really good in preparing for that rivalry game or that championship game like they did last year when JT Barrett was coming off of a knee surgery only six days before the game uh, or, or a bowl game. It's going to affect them. Now, are they going to lose to Oregon State in the opener? No. But they have a game, I believe it's week three, down at Jerry World uh, with, you know, in Arlington, Texas, against TCU, which is not far from that uh, stadium at all. You know, so almost a road game, although I think there'll be a lot of Buckeye fans in the stands. That's going to be a challenging game to prepare for. Gary Patterson does a great job with his defense. It's going to be the first real test, I think, for Dwayne Haskins as the new quarterback. So you're going to want Urban Meyer on the sideline, ideally, by that game if he is indeed going to return. But there, there's very much a question of whether Urban Meyer has coached his last game at Ohio State. That's what uh, I think we'll find out a lot more about in the next few weeks. Talking with Adam Rittenberg from ESPN.com, talking some college football. Okay, this is a generic question. When when will the rest of the conferences gang up so we don't have to talk about the SEC all the time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fred, I mean, uh, uh, last year certainly the SEC had the, uh, the championship stage. Both teams were, were in the game. It was a great game. Alabama came out on top. But I, I do think that the depth uh, of the SEC is not what it was a few years ago. A lot of people believe the Big Ten is the deepest conference going into this season. The Big Ten won every bowl game but Michigan, and Michigan lost to an inferior South Carolina team. Talent-wise, they were better than South Carolina. So you look at the Big Ten this year, you have four teams in the East Division that should be preseason top 15, and you have Wisconsin, which is preseason top 10 in, in every, every poll that I've seen, including the preseason coaches poll, which came out on Friday. So that's five teams in the top 15. The SEC uh, really only has three, uh, Alabama, Georgia, and Auburn, Mississippi State's a good team, has a chance to rise up under an exciting new coach in Joe Moorhead. But, you know, Tennessee's not where it was. Florida, certainly not where it was. LSU, there's major questions this year about Ed Orgeron and his leadership. Is he going to be the coach long-term? And Bo Fisher taking over at Texas A&M, he's a first-year coach. So you know, there were six new coaches in the SEC this year. So the, the overall depth there is not where they want it to be. But certainly the top, especially when you have Alabama, uh, it definitely changes things. Now, I don't know if you guys saw the, the comments yesterday from Jalen Hurts, though, at Alabama, yeah, yeah. Uh, really kind of calling out Nick Saban. So it may not it may not be uh, just perfect in Tuscaloosa either going into the season, but we know how talented they are. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, if we're talking about expectations heading into a season, how about the expectations that Jim Harbaugh had just going to Michigan in general? Are you surprised that they haven't won more at Michigan with Jim Harbaugh? You know, I am. I, I'm, I'm more surprised at how they've lost, which is not getting enough from the quarterback position, looking inept on offense at times, not, not being tough-minded, I think, away from Michigan Stadium. If you look at their losses, guys, you know, losing to Iowa in 2016 when you have a better team than Iowa, yeah, they played very well against Ohio State. That's, that game could have gone either way. But, uh, but, but last year, you know, the, the losses all came away from Ann Arbor. And you look at their schedule, 
beginning with the opener on September 1st at Notre Dame Stadium. College game day just announced is going to be there. You start off with that game. You know you have Michigan State, your, your in-state rival, and Ohio State, your main rival, both on the road. They have Northwestern on the road. The team has won 27 games in the last three years. So uh, Michigan's going to have to be better on the road, and they're going to have to be better at the quarterback position. Now they hope that Shea Patterson, the transfer from Ole Miss, who is declared eligible immediately because of unique circumstances, that he's the savior. So, yeah, I thought Michigan would win more, but I also thought that they would look a lot better at quarterback. I mean, Jim Harbaugh coached Andrew Luck. I mean, they were uh, they had great quarterbacks at Stanford, and he had Colin Kaepernick at Colin Kaepernick's best with the 49ers. So he has a history, obviously, at the quarterback position. That hasn't translated to Michigan, and they need it to this season. So uh, Michigan fans listening or people who just enjoy Big Ten college football, you hear a transfer from the SEC, Shea Patterson from Ole Miss, coming in at quarterback. How good can he be, and what have you seen from Patterson before when he was with Ole Miss? Sure, yeah. I think people are legitimately excited about Shea Patterson. He's a guy that has the potential to be a future NFL quarterback. He, you know, he, he had a, a nice freshman year a couple of years ago, and then you know he played about half the season last year before a knee injury uh, ended his season. The last year was a bit of a mix. You know, he had some uh, really nice performances early on, but also struggled with his accuracy and had some interception issues. And Ole Miss, talking to the folks down there, it's not like they're you know devastated that he's gone. That they they have a new quarterback that they're excited about. So I think it's an opportunity for Shea Patterson to sort of reestablish himself um, as the guy that we saw you know, in 2016, certainly as a freshman, and then at times in 2017. But I think, you know, I think the fact that a lot of people think he's going to be the savior, we'll see. I think he's got to have a better offensive line than Michigan's had the last few years. They're going to get a little older at receiver, but that's a question mark. And then the overall offensive scheme, there, there's big questions there, guys, because uh, they, they, they brought in some new coaches. Uh, you know, Jim McElwain, the former Florida coach, is now on staff. Um, Ed Warner, who's been an offensive coordinator at Ohio State, is the offensive line coach. Who's really calling the shots for that offense, and is it going to allow Shea Patterson to do what he does best? That's what I'm most interested in seeing, the scheme. Because I, I think Shea Patterson, if given the right scheme and the right pieces around him, can be a really effective player for Michigan this season. Adam, we call them Chicago's Big Ten team, the Northwestern Wildcats. The people that go on up to cover Northwestern, they may be surprised by the $270 million uh, training facility and practice facility they have. What does that do for a school like Northwestern? Is that something that brings in new recruits? Is that something that has the guys that are already there work better? What exactly does a new training facility like that do for the for the school and the football team? Well, Fred, I think all of the above. I finally got my tour of the facility on Friday, and it, it is unbelievable. If you guys have a chance to uh, check it out, you know, I think we, I've seen a lot of these facilities around the country. Northwestern's unique, certainly the location right there on the lake, but the fact that it serves a lot of different sports, not just football, but the football facilities are as good as the ones you see at the top programs. I mean, they, they went from having guys by far the worst facilities in the Big Ten, and arguably the worst in the Power Five conferences to now one of the better facilities. I don't know if it's the best. It's certainly subjective. But now they, I think, can, can recruit on a higher level. Maybe they can go against Notre Dame a little bit more in recruiting. They can go against Stanford a little bit more in recruiting. They've already landed a Clemson transfer, Hunter Johnson, who is the number one quarterback in the country in the 2016 recruiting class. So they we weren't getting players like that before. Uh, they're able to, to, to sell, uh, hey, you can live on campus and walk to the walk to the facility where you do practices and training and and, and, and weight room and all that. They couldn't do that before. So that's, that's always big. There's always going to be some limitations there academically, but I do think that they can aim a little bit higher 
in recruiting, especially with Stanford and Notre Dame, maybe being more of their competitors now than, than, than they were previously. Adam, we really appreciate it. We'll keep following you on the Ohio State story and everything else related to college football at ESPN.com. Thanks a lot for jumping on in. Okay, guys, I appreciate it. Have a good day. Thanks, Adam. Adam Rittenberg uh, talking some college football Ooh, and uh, Fred. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to spread my wings. Hey, man, uh, it's it's the, football. First, just start with, with the fact that yeah, it's football. Working with you and working with you and Abdallah, I'm starting. Uh, not only am I starting to look at college football, but I actually listened to the whole Woj pod pod the other well, day. See, we're rubbing off on you. Yeah, Fred. It, um, it helped that Cassidy Hubbard was on. Well, so. yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah, uh, so I listened you know, to that too. It's exciting because the first weekend of college football, it starts off with a bang. You have Michigan and Notre Dame yeah. that night. That's where college game day will be. They will be in South Bend. They announced that yesterday. That's the first college game day of the season. The game you can hear right here on ESPN 1000 that night. So Michigan, Notre Dame, it's a big spot for both teams, right? Yep. Because if you lose that game, now it's tough because both teams have a tough schedule. You can't lose again. <laughs> Well, in, and especially Notre Dame, because yeah. Notre Dame, in some circles, is getting the conversation of this is a sleeper team that could make a playoff run. Mm-hmm. Because if they beat Michigan, they beat Stanford, they beat Florida State, they get USC, now you're kind of looking at a resume. You also have to travel to Northwestern like we were just right. talking about. That's a resume that will get you into the playoff if you only have one loss. Yeah. If you're a two-loss team and and it's against Michigan who's going to be good and maybe you lose on the road to Northwestern or at USC, you you're might still be No, you might still be a playoff okay. team. I mean, think back to last year, a two-loss team and you get into the playoffs because you never know how it will fall. So well, just that, imagine if you had eight teams, they all get in it. Right. Well, I mean, listen, Fred, that's why you, you add eight teams, and now the opener is not as special. I'm trying to sell the fact that are. the opener is special. Let's keep it hey, that listen, way, anytime Notre Dame yeah, and Get Michigan, out of here with the eight-team playoff. Anytime, come on now. Anytime Notre Dame and Michigan play, it's special. Yeah, it hey, is. when we come back, uh, Brian Urlacher's acceptance speech, his enshrinement speech for the Hall of Fame. We'll replay it. We come back. Chris Black, Fred Hubner, right here on ESPN 1000. Four teams. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000. Chris Black, Fred Hubner with you here on ESPN 1000. The 11 o'clock hour, we got some baseball. Brett Taylor from Bleach Nation to talk some Cubs. Anthony Rizzo's getting the uh, day off. Uh, Albert Almora is leading off today. And you know what happened four years ago today, Chris? Hmm. Well, keep thinking about it. I'll let you know about it after we listen to some of Brian Urlacher. As Brian Urlacher stepped to the uh, podium last night, the Hall of Fame enshrinement speech. Give it a listen here on ESPN 1000. Okay, I see you. I want you to know you're both like a father to me and a brother. 
You're my favorite coach of all time. You not only may be a better football player, but a better man. You and your wife, Nancy, are impeccable role models for me, and I strive to be as good a parent to my children as you and Nancy are to yours. Thanks, Bullet. Now, congratulations to my fellow 2018 Hall of Fame inductees. This is such a huge honor for me. I never could have imagined that I would be standing here tonight, linked forever with these great men, these great players, football players. I played against and I watched it in awe. Astonishing. However, today is not merely about me or what I was able to do on the football field. I primarily here tonight to pay respect to the men and women who have made this all possible and to honor them for the impact they've had on my life. I love everything about football. The friendships, the coaches, the teammates, the teachers, the challenges, the opportunity to excel as a teammate and as a leader. Football has provided me with virtually everything I have in life. It has provided for my children and my family. <laughs> Not yet. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. The values, discipline, and respect for others taught me by my mother is reinforced in football. Most importantly, at every level of the game, it was flat-out fun for me. I love going to work every day for 13 years. The two pillars of my life are family and football. Football, integrated with my love of family, has allowed me to fulfill my vision in life, to do and be my very best to the best of my ability at all times. It also seemed to me that when I was, my personal life was good, I played at a much higher level as well, <laughs> more settled. As I think about it, one of the best parts of the game was all the pre-snap check-in, the banter, the communication that constantly took place even before the ball was snapped. The quarterback would call an audible. We would try and change the defense to get in the right defense. Usually we weren't. But it was just a constant cat and mouse game to see who they numbered the right place at the right time. Then, at the end of 2012, I retired. Just like that. All the people in my life associated with the Bears were gone. One of the things I immediately missed the most was eating lunch in Dean Pope's office. Dean was one of our video techs, and every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we would kick him out of his office and eat lunch together. We being Olin Krutz, Roberto Garza, Patrick Manley, myself, and every once in a while, Brad Mayer would sneak in there to get some, to get some verbal abuse. We never talked football. We talked trash. It was a fun 10 to 15 minutes, and then we go get ready for practice. My favorite day, though, was Thursday. That was Oreo Donut Balls Day. Or as I like to say, white balls. And of course, Lance would say, black balls. Anyway, once again, football, going to work. It was fun for me. I was born in Pasco, Washington. My parents divorced when I was at uh, Pasco. Yeah, they're here. I was born... And obviously there, like I just said. My parents divorced when I was seven, and my mother moved us to Lovington, New Mexico, with my brother and my sister to be close to her parents. This was when my, my late mother, Lavoya Lynn Leonard, became my real-life hero. Of course, I had my football heroes that I wanted to emulate and who inspired me, but my mother embodied the truth. A champion does it differently. When we first moved to Lovington, we had nothing. No, that's not true. We had each other. But when we first moved there, my mom didn't have a job. Not to worry, though. My mother was the hardest working person I've ever known. She always found a way to provide for the three of us. 
even if that meant working three jobs at a time, from cleaning houses to being a grocery store clerk. She was never too proud to take a job if it meant she would be able to provide for us. Even working seven days a week, not once did she miss a practice, miss a game, or any school function. She was always there for us, and she made sure we knew that. She was at all of our games. And we knew she was there because she was the loudest person screaming in the crowd, sometimes embarrassingly so, most of the time, actually. This was her way of letting us know she was rooting for us. Shoot, I've been retired for five years. I got three kids, and it's hard to make it to all their activities. But my mother, she did it all the time. She epitomized unconditional love, but she also epitomized unconditional discipline. We knew the consequences if we misbehaved. In that regard, I believe there's a misconception that I grew up with privilege or I had it easy. Quite the opposite, actually. I began working when I was 12 years old, pushing my lawnmower around town mowing yards. And later on, working in the oil fields of Lovington. And I went off to college, a lumberyard in Albuquerque. My mother definitely taught me the importance of learning my way. Mother, thank you. If it wasn't for you, I definitely wouldn't be here today. Mm. Mm. Fortunately, fortunately for my mother and the three of us, when I was 12, she met the man I considered to be my real dad, Troy Leonard. If my mother wasn't a good enough example of an exemplary work ethic, now I had another one of my stepfather. My dad went to work every day at 5.30 a.m. in the oil fields of Lovington. Not once did he complain. My dad's here tonight. Troy? I'm not doing it. I'm doing it. Troy, you're not only my father, or my, you're not only my stepfather, you're my father. Thank you, Dad, for helping a young boy who needed direction and a role model for coming into our lives when you did. All right. I learned to love football from watching my football heroes on TV, particularly the Cowboys' Darren Woodson, who's a big safety I thought I was too. He should be in the Hall of Fame and sitting up there with us, I believe. Anyway, he's not. I love the way he smashed people, the way he played, how he handled himself on and off the field, and I wanted to be just like him. Playing in my neighborhood, I didn't like it yet, but I damn sure like hitting people. That's why I stuck to defense. As I begin to share my football journey, there are so many people I must thank. So many coaches, teammates, and friends that have profoundly impacted my life, but time does not allow me to properly honor you. Mm. But I will talk about these couple of teammates that I have real quick. Mike Brown. Yeah. Sorry. Mike Brown and I were drafted in the same class. He is the smartest football player I've ever been on the field with. Even smarter than I am, I hate saying that. When he was in the game, it took a lot of pressure off myself. He communicated with the defense with his little squeaky ass voice. I miss that voice. Uh, when he wasn't on the field, it hurt me and it hurt our defense. Lance Briggs. I played alongside this beast for 10 years. He made me a better player because if I didn't play well, he'd make all the plays and I'd just be a guy out there. He elevated not only my game, but the entire defense. His enthusiasm and excitement was contagious. We'll be back here in a couple years for your induction big time. 
Charles Peanut Tillman. I had a front row seat for 10 years watching this guy piss people off by making them fumble. But all they worked on all week was not fumbling. He had a talent that I don't believe will ever be duplicated. He was also a great cover guy who would come up and hit your ass when he needed to. Alex Brown. Alex is one of the most contagious laughs I've ever heard. It rivals my mother's. He's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, and it helped he was a hell of a football player as well. I only played with this guy for three years, but Dusty Dvorak impacted me greatly. Even as a rookie, he stepped in and took control of the huddle, and he held people accountable. If he saw something he didn't like, he'd shout, shut the blank leg up and listen. And as a rookie, that's pretty tough to do, but he did it. He set the tone for our defense. Ola Krups. The toughest person I have ever met and one of the hardest working people as well. No doubt he was our team leader. OGK played his heart out. Injuries did not matter. He played through them. Olin was the best son in the league. He made me a better player and competitor. We all looked up to you, Olin. All right. That was the first half of Brian Erlacher's entrainment speech last night from Canton. We'll play the second half. And when we come back, also a lot of baseball talk coming up next hour. Brett Taylor, Bleacher Nation, talking some Cubs. Cubs lineup is out for the game today. They wrap up the series with the Padres. And then we'll get to my baseball notebook. Lots of stuff coming up baseball-wise in the 11 o'clock hour. But part two of the Urlacher speech, Chris. All right, let's do it. Coming up after this on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. All day long, we've been talking about the Brian Urlacher Hall of Fame induction speech. We played the first half. Let's play the second half right here on ESPN 1000. Coaches constituted the bedrock of my existence for nearly three decades. They taught me about discipline, hard work, teamwork, and were there to challenge me to become a better man and a better player in that order. I am so very grateful that you not only demanded I be the best player I could be, but actually showed me how. To all my friends who I've known throughout my life, who supported me when I was down, who cheered for me when I was up, who loved me for just being me. Time does not allow me time to do you justice, but please know where you all live in my heart. To the Chicago Bears, the charter franchise of National Football League history. First, I must acknowledge the fans. I never got a chance to say goodbye. The best fans in the world. Even when we stunk, they sit in their seats at Soldier Field freezing their butts off every time. And in case you didn't know, our fans love defense. Hmm. The most coveted position in pro football for a defensive player is to play middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears. Just think about it. The history of this position is unmatched by any other team. Bill George, Dick Buckus, Mike Singletary, and now, I can barely say it, me. I hope over my 13 seasons I made all of you Bears fans proud. Becoming a Bear was like playing for family. And to play my entire career with one team is a testament to the tradition of the Chicago Bears. I know this is due to our founding father, George Hallis. 
Thank you, Virginia Hollis McCaskey and George McCaskey for continuing that legacy. Thank you, George, for always treating us with respect and dignity. Thanks also for loaning us Connor, your son, for four years at training camp. He was a good ball boy for our linebacker drills. <laughs> Before continuing, again, time does not allow for me to respectfully acknowledge each and every one of my lifelong friends, teammates, and coaches in attendance tonight. But you know who you are. Would all of you please stand and be acknowledged? Teammates, friends, coaches, everybody, please stand and be acknowledged. All of you. Now, on to my family. My wife, Jennifer. She is my rock, my voice of reason when I need some reason, or a lot of help finding some reason. We started dating in 2009. I told her on our second date that I was going to marry her. She looked at me like I was crazy. She has been by my side for two of the worst things that have happened in my life. Five months after we started dating, the first game of the season dislocated my wrist against Green Bay and I missed the entire season. The most horrific event, my mother's passing in 2011. Both times were incredibly hard for me and she was there for me, no questions asked. She is definitely a member of Team Merlacher and really just one of the guys. She doesn't look like it, but she is one of the guys. She has helped me become a much better man and parent to our three children. She's a wonderful stepmother to our children as well. I'm not sure I could have put up with so much stupidity as long as she's put up with mine. She is so patient and understanding with me, even when I don't deserve it. She's one of the most organized people I know, and sometimes annoyingly organized. If it wasn't for her, this weekend would not have gone as smoothly as it has. I love you, babe. Thank you for being a part of my life. My children, Pamela Riley and Kennedy. What I love about them all is how different they are. It makes it fun for us. All three of them have been through a lot. They're strong kids and have amazing character. They teach me patience, that's for sure. They are each unique, independent, and principled. They don't allow others to have negative influence over them. That says a lot about who they are. Pamela is my oldest daughter, Pamela Brooke. You're one of the smartest and strongest people I know. Oh, I'm not going to do it. You're one of the strongest and smartest people I know. You're a global traveler and a straight-A honor student as well. You're a rare gift and a best friend to anyone who knows you. Your drive to be your best and to be successful inspires me and makes me truly proud to be your father. <laughs> Riley Erlacher, Riley Brand. You are different from any teenage girl I've ever met. For six years, you wore a hat backwards every day. Even though you were teased for it daily, you never let it bother you. You marched to the beat of your own drum. You're still a tomboy, and as with Pamela, you two are wise beyond your years. One of my greatest joys is watching you play basketball. You are, you are our family magnet. People are drawn to you. And you are the most lit person that I know. <laughs> I love you, Riley. Kennedy, my son. Kennedy, you're a tremendous athlete, a hooper, a football player, and you also care about school just as much as those sports. You have such a caring heart and often put others' needs before your own. In the last year and a half, it's been amazing to watch you mature. Your work ethic has gotten better and I've seen your grow as a young man, becoming a very respectful human being. I'm so humbled and proud and honored to be your father. Love you, son. <laughs> to my Erlacher family from Washington, 
A lot of them are in attendance tonight. Thank you for always letting me know I can count on you guys if I need anything, if I need anything at all. Jaren, especially you. Jaren's my brother. Growing up, we weren't as close as we wanted to be, but we, but we damn sure are now. Brad Erlacher is my birth father. He passed away in 2004 during my fifth year of training camp. We were not close, but I still loved him. He wasn't around once once we moved to New Mexico. Whatever his reasons were, it didn't matter to me. I know as parents, sometimes we have to make difficult decisions, and I forgave him, just as my mother would have wanted me to. My brother Casey, he and I are 15 months apart, and growing up, we fought like it at everything. We fought. We competed. We competed at everything. He definitely inspired my competitive juices and got them flowing. As we got older, we didn't always see eye to eye, but I guess that's what happens. just what happens sometimes when you're brothers. My big sister Sherry, she and I are 12 months apart. She used to be up on my brother daily when we were kids, every day, because she was always bigger than we were. We'll be caught up eventually, and I know I'm a tougher person because she always picked on us. When I was told I was being invited to join this distinguished group of men, I immediately recognized this would be one of the greatest honors I'd ever received. This is my legacy moment, and I have thought long and hard about what I want to say right now. Here it is. As a player, this is why I'm being remembered as a good teammate. That's it. I want to be remembered as a guy who would do anything for his teammates, always go above and beyond for you. To the guys who played with me and the guys who played against me, just know how much I respected the game. I feel like I played it the right way. I had fun when I was out there. I respected opponents as well as my teammates and coaches. I may be one of the most competitive people you'll ever know. I want to win every snap, every game, even though it's not possible. But I didn't just compete to be the other person. I competed to be my best. It wasn't merely about the conquest, it was about the challenge. Every moment, every practice, every game, everywhere. I just love competing. Competition's in my DNA. At the beginning of my speech, I spoke about the two pillars of my life, family and football. Everyone that I've spoken about tonight is family. The men I played with are my brothers. The men who coached me are my fathers. Trust me when I tell you, it is family. It makes me very uncomfortable speaking about myself and what I've accomplished on the football field. After games, I never want to talk about what I did. I want to talk about what Lance did, what Charles did. I always thought I could, I always thought I could have done better. Wins and losses, they're the same to me. I always could have played better in my mind, didn't matter what the outcome was. Now here I am, 40 years of age. From this unique vantage point, I'm able to look back and I also look ahead as I embark upon the next leg of my journey. Football has opened so many doors for me that not only benefited me, but others as well. I was a football player. That was my job. But that's not who I am. I'm a husband, a father, a friend, a provider, and a role model for a lot of children, which I try to embrace as much as I can. But my most important legacy is sitting right here in front of me, Pamela Riley and Kennedy. Football did not defy me, but it clearly has helped me be a better man. Its core values aren't simple football values, they are life values. In applying what I learned in football to the rest of my life, I have discovered we all win. For someone as competitive as I am, that victory means everything to me. Thank you all.
That was Brian Erlacher at the Hall of Fame last night with his enshrinement speech. Chris Black, Fred Hubner, we come back. Lots of baseball talk in the 11 o'clock hour. Cubs lineups out. They wrap up the series with the Padres. We're talking about it here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's game day. Deep to left field, and it is there and Chicago's game day. He's at the wall. He leaps. He caught it. He caught it. It's a triple play for the Sox. Bases loaded. Bases clean. This is Chicago's game day. Only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome on in. Chris Black, Fred Hubner with you till 12 noon. Adam Abdallah, who usually joins us, is probably uh, just cruising into the uh, listening area. Yeah, you call him your little buddy. Yes, our little, our little buddy. I think he's everybody's little buddy on uh, Sunday morning, and uh, <laughs> he will. He'll be back in the studio tomorrow with Waddle and Sylvie after uh, spending the entire weekend with them in Canton, Ohio. Yeah, I'm sure he'll be excited for two o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Right? <laughs> he seemed like he was a little exhausted. He went yeah. to Lala, I guess on. What was it, Thursday? Thursday Thursday? night, and then he got in the car on Friday morning, drove to uh, Canton, Ohio, uh, took in all the Hall of Fame stuff, and then uh, get in the car and come right back. Yep. So... Yeah, so he'll be back tomorrow along with all the guys. Don't forget the Cap and Company uh, beginning tomorrow at 9 o'clock. By the way, Eddie Olchek's um, horse won yesterday. Did it? Yeah. The all horse, right. Uh, he had the six horse in the eighth race at Saratoga yeah. to win in place. It won. So Good. he got the win in place money. It was a favorite, but it, it still won. Sure. It's better than losing, right? Right, right, right. Uh, so if you bet $2 to win, $2 to place, you won 10 bucks. So you won, you know, got $6 uh, more back. Um, his exacta did not win. It finished first uh, and third, which uh, would have been interesting. It would have been fun, but uh, he waited too long. That horse. Yeah, uh, you just reminded me to check the express bed uh, account there. Oh, there yeah, you go. I see. Yes, yeah. uh, some winnings. There All you right. go. Uh, baseball later on today. The White Sox they take on. They wrap up their series. They're actually looking for a series sweep against the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. James Shields going to the hill for the White Sox. Yohan Moncada struck out three more times yesterday. He, um, let's see, he was 0 for 3 yesterday with three strikeouts. He has 154 strikeouts. That leads all of baseball. He has six more than Joey Gallo and ten more than Giancarlo Stanton. It's pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah, the other day he struck out four times looking. All four times looking. What you looking at? That's uh, swing the that's bat. Terrible. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. I, I like I can't even put a positive spin on that. That's no. that's trash. Yeah, that's as bad as you could possibly get. Yeah. But then the next day, uh, in the ninth inning, they tried to turn him around and have him bat right handed, and he did, and he got a game winning double. So you know that's where you're going to go through some uh, some suffering, some uh, growing pains with a young kid like that. So, unfortunately, and Fred, uh, you know, we kind of briefly talked about it on Friday night, but uh, leave the guys that are in the minors right now in the minors because the rest of this season, we don't need to see them come up and have their service time clock start. I know you, you kind of feel differently about the uh, about that thought process being a White Sox fan, but it, come on, just hold it off a yeah, little bit. I more. feel differently about the whole service time thing because I figure you, if they're that good, you're going to sign them to another contract before that. You know, that runs out that seven years or whatever. Um, but I understand it starts the clock and, you know, could you be, go to arbitration earlier and all the other things, too. Um, I, I definitely think Kopech should stay in the minors all the rest of the year. And then when the minor league season's over, you'd say, 
go relax a little while. Sure. You Take know? some time off. Yeah, right. Everybody's eager to see Eloy Jimenez play for the White Sox. They're eager to see what he can do against big league pitching because everywhere he's been, he's hit. I think he was three for three the other day, and, you know, he was he's doing very well. So there's a there's a bright future. Right now, the, uh, the uh, current is a very, uh, you know, the current situation's overcast, but... Um, it's very bright. For I, the I get your take with uh, Eloy and why you don't want to, uh, or why you would want to bring him up. Because what does it matter? He'll get that new contract eventually, yeah. anyway. But then I would, re- I would look back at Chris Bryant. I mean, Chris Bryant was held in the minors for that extra year of right. arbitration because if you look at it, he still doesn't have that new contract. Right. He's got three years of arbitration ahead of him before he becomes a free agent in the season of twenty twenty two. So. The Cubs have a lot of time of Chris Bryant without having to pay him a major, major contract. That's why leave Eloy down in the minors, bring him up next year after what the twelve days, days or whatever. Yeah, that's fine. Like what? Just, yeah, there's no hurry. There's no reason. Just to let hurry. it be. Yeah, but uh, but you gotta like what he's doing down in the minors. I yeah, mean, I think everybody Lord. does right now. He's it's like he Babe Ruth down there. Just keeps hitting the ball, and uh, he seems he's got some wor- things to work on, some defense to work on, and things like that. Uh, the lineup is out for the North Side as oh. the Cubs go for uh, the game against San Diego today as a one twenty start. Albert Almora is leading off in center field. Now, he's been struggling big time. I want to say one for his last 22, something like that. It may not even take into consideration yesterday. And let's see, he may not even have played. Uh, He did. He pinch hit, one over one. So he's he's one for his last 23. Yeah, he's hitless in his last five games, 0 for 11. Yeah, and he's leading off today. Javi Baez has moved up to the number two hole. He is batting a second, playing second base. Four years ago today... Javi Baez made his first appearance in a Cubs uniform. Wow. Four years ago. Boy, does time fly. And now this year he could be an MVP. Uh, hitting third is a guy that spent time in Iowa throughout the course of the year this year. David Bodie is your number three hitter. Pretty good. Playing third base. Addison Russell, who continues to struggle, is a batting cleanup at shortstop. Kyle Schwarber, who homered yesterday in the five-run second inning, is hitting fifth and playing left field. Wilson Contreras behind the plate. Victor Caratini is playing first base as Anthony Rizzo gets the day off. John Lester, your pitcher, is batting eighth. And Ian Happ is in right field, so Hayward gets the day off. So you have Hayward and Rizzo both with the day off today. And uh, Happ in right. Um, Zobrist also getting the day off today. So you may end up seeing them. John Lester, they'd like to uh, win this game and then head to Kansas City. And Jesse mentioned when they started the seven-game stretch with four against the Padres and three in Kansas City, mm-hmm. you want to go at least five and two. He said, yeah, seven and oh would be great. Six and one would be tremendous. But you want to go at least five and two against two bad teams. Yeah, you got to take care of the teams that roll in. Uh, you know, especially since at parts in this season, they've struggled against yeah. teams that they should be beating up on. You mentioned Javi Baez in the MVP conversation with yeah. his 23rd home run. Uh, yesterday ties, or on Friday, it ties his career high so clearly he will go past that this season do you think it's just to have the conversation that he's an mvp candidate i think so because i actually went to uh, miriam webster's dictionary yesterday now okay. i didn't carry it with me i went online and Let looked me, it up did you look up swag no i looked up most valuable player okay fair enough all right and most yeah. valuable play- i wrote it down so i didn't have to look it up all again right, cool the most valuable player, the definition in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary is the player who contributes the most to his or her team's success. Okay. And this year, it's not 
Chris Bryant. No. It's not Anthony Rizzo. No. It would be Javi Baez, who's contributed the most, I think, to the success of the Cubs right now. So I have no problem with Javi Baez being in the MVP race. And you look at the National League, and I think he's, you know, there's a good chance that he could win the MVP. And you know me, I like newfangled the analytics and stats, and uh, I like pointing to war when you look at the MVP conversation. Javi Baez on Fangraphs has a 4.0 war. That's pretty and good. The next closest guy is Wilson Contreras at 2.8. So by far, he has been the best player on the Chicago Cubs this year. You mentioned Bryant. He's fifth right now. He's been injured for a while. Right. So that takes the number down, but he's at 2.2. Rizzo's at a 1.6. So, I mean, you know, it's Javi Baez has been the best player on this team this season. Yeah, uh, he's been when there's been a highlight, a lot of times it's been Javi Baez oh, yeah. highlights. If it's not hitting a home run, it's running the bases or making a play in the field. Let's uh, talk more Cubs baseball. Brett Taylor from uh, Bleacher Nation joins us right now. Brett, how are you today? I'm doing great, guys. I was really, I was enjoying that uh, love fest for Hot Science. <laughs> well, I was, I wanted to get your thoughts too, because I know there are some people who are saying, you know, Hobby doesn't have the, he doesn't have the on base percentage numbers. He's like last in the Cubs, uh, regulars in on base percentage. I think, uh, Ian Happ is ahead of him. And I think, believe it or not, I think Addison Russell is even ahead of him in on base percentage. But I don't think that, that number alone should take him out of the MVP uh, consideration. What are your thoughts about Javi and, and a possibility of getting an MVP award this year? Yeah, I mean, there, there's no more surefire way to get me fired up than uh, dinging Javi Baez solely because of the on-base percentage. And it, it's not only for the reasons that you guys were getting into, which is that his overall offensive production is exceptionally strong. It's not only the best on the Cubs, but it's it's a top-five guy in the National League. And that's just offense setting that aside if you are obsessed with focusing on on-base percentage sure there are guys who have better on-base percentage skills than javi Baez does but he's still well above league average in even that category so i think i think some people forget where league average on base is and javi Baez is still better than that so you throw in of course what he does defensively which is not just the incredible plays but it's that ability to play very well at second base shortstop third base how many mvp type candidates can do that and then you add in the the razzle dazzle on the base pass his incredible tagging ability and the fact that like i said he's a top five guy offensively i just can't fathom how he's not in that mvp conversation you know watching bias come up through the minors and when he first came up to the big club uh a lot of talk about his wild swing his erotic uh his you know the the play is not as consistent as you would like from a guy like javi bias from day to day are you surprised that it's all kind of clicked this quickly for him i think certainly from last year to this year the the tremendous jump in his ability to better discern pitches to organize the strike zone as, as joe madden would would say that's been a bit of a surprise. But, you know, we see this with guys who are just sort of otherworldly talented. And, of course, we saw it coming up with Javi Baez. You're exactly right. I mean, the swing was almost comically out of control. But the talent there was just so obvious that um, sometimes they, these guys get to their mid-20s, um, a couple things click here and there. And when six different sort of skill sets take a step forward, the overall product can be um, a dramatic improvement. So it's kind of a myth. I've been surprised at how far that leap has come this year, but that talent was always there. 
when you look at it, Brett, you, you know, the Cubs right now have a game lead over Milwaukee. Milwaukee made some moves. They got Moustakis, and they picked up Jonathan Scope, and they got Soria out of the bullpen and things like that. And the Cubs made their own. They've got Hamels and a couple guys they bring over in uh, Jesse Chavez and also Kinsler. Do you think the Cubs did enough to hold off Milwaukee as we get on the stretch here? Well, I think it's fair to say they probably did less than Milwaukee did in terms of addressing um, – holes that were present, but that's sort of an unfair comparison, right? Because Milwaukee had more obvious holes to fill. And and frankly, personally, I don't think they filled the most obvious one, Mm -hmm. which is I've got a whole lot of questions about their rotation, about what's going to happen to them down the stretch. And so um, I think you go back sort of the core roster, I think it's very hard to analyze the two teams and not say that the Cubs are um, not just better, but probably significantly better on paper. And that's before you consider the fact that they've been playing without Chris Bryant, who hopefully will be back, playing without Brandon Morrow, again, hopefully back, and you Darvish, hopefully back. And so um, I think that in the end you're going to see that if and when those three guys come back with the additions the Cubs have made with steps forward from some of the younger guys, I'd like to believe we're going to see a September where the Cubs kind of pull away, but, you know, Man, God bless those Brewers. They're they're hanging on and they're playing really well right now on a tough uh, West Coast road trip. You li- uh, listed some of the issues uh, with this Cubs team. What is your biggest concern uh, down the stretch run and into the playoffs for this group? Well, it's, it's an easy one, I think. It's the fact that the starting rotation continues to come up very, very short in the outings. Um, you know, they're in a good run right now of success uh, in terms of the results. I think I saw something like the last twenty games or so they. They've had a very nice stretch of productivity from the starting rotation, which we haven't seen this year consistently, but they're still averaging only about five innings to start. And, you know, new way of thinking, bullpenning, and sort of this is the way the game is managed now, that's fine in isolation. But by the time late September rolls around and the playoffs, we saw it last year. Your best relievers get ground down into a pulp, and then they're not there for you when you need them in those really, really high-intensity innings at the end of the year and in the playoffs. So, that's my concern. I love the Cole Hamels addition. You know, I don't think he's going to be the guy he was eight years ago, but that adds depth to the rotation. I love the Kinsler addition, Jesse Chavez, just to be able to spread some of those innings around and keep your key guys healthy. Brad Taylor from Bleacher Nation joining us here on ESPN 1000, talking some Cubs baseball as they get going against the Padres later on today at 120 start. Albert Almora. I've been a fan of Almora's. He seemed to have everything working for him, making plays in the field, which he was always doing anyway. And then all of a sudden you look and he was leading the league and hitting. And he's kind of hit the hit some struggles, um, not only at the plate, but I'm, I, I guess I'm the only one that sees him throw to the wrong basis consistently. Um, but what, Albert Almora, do you, I mean, he was... It's like he was playing very, very well when he was out there all the time. Then he struggled a little bit and maybe not out there as much as he thinks he should. Do you think some of this is in his head, or do you think we're starting to see this is what Albert Almora is? Uh, I think it's it's not quite either of those extremes. I mean, I think that you're seeing a young guy to whom the league has adjusted because he was and always has been very aggressive at the plate. Mm-hmm. Um, he remi- his, his approach reminds me a lot of Starling Castro. Um, really, really exceptional ability to make contact with anything. And when you come up as a young guy, that can actually work against you because you can make contact with pitches that you really should be taking and, and waiting for that more drivable pitch. 
Um, it worked well for him, like you said, for a very long time. Those those balls were finding grass. Um, there were, you know, there are some uh, just some numbers beneath the numbers that suggested that wasn't going to last forever. And so I think there's just some normal regression going on. But I also think you're seeing the league adjust to his aggressiveness and sort of taking advantage of his ability to make contact with pitches that he can't drive. And so he'll have to adjust. Um, this this is all the process. And then I think he's in his own, like you said. Ian Happ's playing pretty, pretty well, and yeah. so well at least offensively. Um, and so I think you're going to see Joe Madden continuing to sort of optimize those matchups. Last time out, John Lester uh, threw five innings, four earned run, and seven hits in his outing. Uh, what do you expect from Lester today? Well, it's it's always nice to pitch against this Padres lineup, <laughs> not not uh, an overpowering one. Um, so that's that's good, and certainly with John Lester, this this season's been. I mean, it's a fascinating one for a nerd like me to look at because his results have been almost universally fantastic across the board. And, and yet when you dig down to sort of what should be happening, there's not a lot that supports it. And I think that what we're seeing is something of a manifestation of the ability of a veteran pitcher who understands his defense, who understands how to pitch exceptionally well to a scouting report, knows when he has it, knows when he doesn't, and he just finds a way in a way that we can't necessarily um, articulate numerically, but finds a way to, to succeed. And so, you know, I, I expect at this point, you know, we're four, what, four-plus months into the season. I, I kind of think it's going to continue. Uh, Brett, before the season, did you know who David Bodie was? <laughs> I did, uh, and which is, is not, not to pat myself on the back, but, I am a huge nerd about this stuff. So he, he'd kind of had a, a mini breakout in the minor leagues last year, but I will certainly uh, not say that I saw this coming at all. <laughs> I mean, it's been pretty amazing what he's been able to do, not only at the plate, but in the field. I mean, the, everybody seemed to talk about the play that Javi made yes, uh, two days ago on the throw to the plate, but I thought the Bodie play, obviously with the, with the tying run uh, in the ninth inning, I thought that was a, a tougher play going to his left, making sure he made the perfect throw and everything else. Uh, he's just, wherever they've put him, he's been able to pl- do the job. Did they did they know what they were getting when they brought him up? I mean, I know that sounds like a silly question. Otherwise, they wouldn't have brought him up. But I don't think that the, the, could Cub management have even thought he would have been able to help as much as he has. Well, let me, throw, let me put it to you this way. And I, I think anybody who suggests they knew this was coming is totally lying. So among batters who have put as many balls in play as David Bodie has, which is it's a low bar because we're talking about sort of a small sample that he's been up. But there is one hitter in all of baseball who has hit the ball harder than David Bodie, and that's Aaron Judge. So, yeah, I mean, it just blows your mind. Right. right? And you can't, you can't fake that, right? Like, you can't get lucky into absolutely crushing the ball. So um, I don't know that anybody saw that coming, but, uh, you know, the defense is just – been perhaps the part that's blown me away uh, the most. I knew he could move around. I did not know he was this good. Right. You know, I was reading something on Beyond the Box score on SB Nation the other day, and I don't know if Fred saw this either, is uh, a lot of talk at the start of the season was about the attendance drop in baseball early in the season because of the weather. But the article talks about how each month the season has gone on, the drop has actually continued on based on other previous months like July, June. Those months are down compared to previous years. Why do you think attendance is uh, dropping amongst uh, Major League Baseball stadiums? Well, I think there's a lot that goes into it. Um, I think there are some 
kind of longer-term trends that we're seeing play out uh, in a lot of professional sports with attendance. The, the sort of home viewing experience gets better and better. Um, the price to go attend a game gets higher and higher. Um, I think this year in particular, we're also hurt overall in attendance by the fact that there are a lot of really non-competitive races, particularly in the American League, from early on. There, there were a lot of teams that were just totally out of it right from the get-go, and, and that, that puts a pretty big ding in attendance. You also have little things like the Marlins are now accurately reporting their attendance. They haven't done for years, and it actually is a pretty sizable chunk of league attendance that just evaporated. So I think there are a lot of little things that combine to explain it, but you know, I don't think we can ignore the fact that it's it's very expensive to attend a, a big league game these days, and I, I don't know that that's entirely in line with what demand is going to be going forward, particularly as more and more people just prefer to settle up at home and, and watch. Brent, we really appreciate you jumping on for a few minutes. Uh, the Cubs are, uh, I'm sure they're looking forward to going to Kansas City. I just saw that uh, they're all going to dress and wear their best Pedro Strope uh, attire. Hmm. Uh, so I guess they'll all have their hats a little cockeyed and go from there. I'm not sure what else uh, they would they will do on their trip to Kansas City, but uh, we we appreciate for appreciate you for jumping on in for a few minutes. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. I'll have to turn my hat to the left too. Yeah, I think everybody <laughs> thanks, will. Thanks, Brett. We appreciate it. Brett Taylor from Bleacher Nation, and uh, yeah, the Cubs. It's an interesting lineup. I mentioned uh, no Rizzo. Uh, no Hayward and no Zobris starting uh, the day today as uh, they go against the Padres, wrapping up that series, trying to uh, take three out of four. They uh, have won two of the first three games. It'll be Almora, Baez, Bodie, Russell, Schwarber, Contreras, Caratini, Lester, and Hap. And I still think it's amazing the Cubs are where they are without Chris Bryant playing as much and with Rizzo not playing as Rizzo has up until the last, you know, two weeks since you've been put in the leadoff spot. Yeah, and the Cubs are going to need both if they're going to do anything in the playoffs. Like, getting through with Bodie and all these, you know, guys like patching the holes on, you know, the sinking ship mm-hmm. right now works because this team is so deep. But to make a difference in October and into November, you're going to need both Rizzo and Bryant. Fred, the uh, the article that I quoted there, uh, it shows that we talked about this at length earlier in the summer. That in April, there was a 9.3% drop in attendance okay. from the previous year, right? So in May, it was a 43 drop. In June, it was a 3.1 drop in now, attendance. This is, this is from the previous From month, the previous uh, year. Previous year's month. Okay. Yeah. So May to May, gotcha. June to June, April to April. In July, now weather's the best. Uh, races are heating up, right? Playoff yeah. races. Uh, a 4.3% drop from last July. Okay. So, you know, yeah, I get it. The weather was bad to start the season, but clearly something is happening where not as many people across the country are choosing to go to baseball games. Now... Brett makes a great point. There's a lot of uh, races that are kind of over in the American League. There's not a lot of competition. There's a lot of teams tanking. The National League, though, there's quite a bit of teams that are in it. Yeah. Um, and a lot you got of teams. Three teams in the East. If you're including the Nationals, you got three teams in the West. Yeah, and right. you have at least two here in the uh, Central. Right, and then you you count the wild card. I mean, look at all the teams in the wild card that are five games back. You can go all the way down to the San Francisco Giants. 
They're five and a half games back of the wild card right now. Yeah. So really in the National League, you have four teams, the Reds, the Mets, the Marlins, and the Padres. They're all technically completely out of it because they're 10 plus out. But it, the rest of the teams in the National League, everyone has games to play for in a race to be a part of. You have the Nationals, the Cardinals, the Pirates, the Rockies, the Dodgers, all fighting for the, the wild card. You look at the American League, it drops off pretty dramatically. After pretty the Mariners quickly. at yeah. two and a half back, the next team, the Tampa Bay Rays at nine and a half back, and then everyone else in the American League. I mean, how many teams is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, like 12 teams. Yeah. 12 teams in the American League. So that's 16 teams right there. The four in the National, the the 12 in the American, all not playing for anything. Half your league is not playing for anything. No, I know. And it's, it is it, it is sad. And, that, you know, tanking tanking does that. There's like two or three teams uh, in the American League that can win 100 games, a couple in the National League, and we'll see if that actually plays out. We come back. We'll get to my uh, baseball notebook. We pushed yes. it an hour because of the Brian Urlacher Hall of Fame speech. But uh, we got a bunch of baseball talk. You want to jump on in? 312-332-3776. Chris Black, Fred Huebner here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. And the ball driven to left center. Sousa. He's got it! He's got it! It's a no-hitter! Fred goes around the horn. It's a triple play for the Sox. Touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Fred's Baseball Notebook. Uh, a little bit late, but we get to it anyway. Usually we do it at 10.30 on Sunday mornings, but because we replayed the Brian Urlacher speech and wanted to get to it before we get out of here, here at the top of the hour, the Cubs were winners yesterday. The White Sox were winners. We'll talk about that. But uh, Felix uh, found this. It's his baseball highlights all thrown in together. Woo. Let's give it a listen here from yesterday, Saturday, around Major League Baseball. Corey Kluber with a complete game effort. He only needed 98 pitches. Nathan Avaldi spectacular today on the heels of a near no-hitter. Trade enough in gate eight. And there is your Major League home run leader again with number 33. Angels News' Ken Rosenthal reports that Angels manager Mike Sosha is expected to step down at season's end. A three-run home run for Josh Reddick. And the Astros continue to pour it on in L.A. Nick Ahmed's second home run tonight. Get fired up, Arizona. You got a first-place ball club here. Way back! Get up! Travis Shaw with the bases loaded. 5-1 to one win over the Seattle Mariners. They did it tonight on the back of Marco Estrada. Dominance for eight years, and it delivered him into the Minnesota Twins Hall of Fame. The pitch, and it hit him. That was weird. He, he got hit, and then he went down like he got shot. Now he gets back up, and he's just smiling. <laughs> the last highlight, Dave Wills, former... Uh, <laughs> former... ESPN 1000 uh, <laughs> anchor. Did you see what he was talking about? Did you see it was um, Carlos Gomez got hit by a pitch <laughs> and he dropped the bat and then instead of taking a, a step towards home or first base, he just fell over. <laughs> it was, I thought it was one of the funniest things I'd seen in a long time. And it was, it was just as if he was punched by Rocky right. and he just went... And he just fell like face. Uh, he turned his body a little bit, but just fell to the ground. And Omar Narvaez is looking at him, and the home plate umpire is just looking at him, and he just 
gets up, dusts himself off, and goes to first base. It was very funny. If you have not seen it, you got to check it out. Shout out to Wilsey, too, former yeah. UIC Flames play-by-play yes, guy. Exactly. It also did uh, King Fire Cal- Flames. And you may or may not know this. He was a former sports phoner. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah I did know that. Yeah. Yes. So uh, Dave Wills and a big White Sox fan. Absolutely. He's not, he's not fond of the Cubs. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that or well, not. Well, yeah. Like most White Sox fans, Fred, I oh, sit no. in here with you every week. He's, he's, he's more not fond of the Cubs than me. <laughs> what about my friend Brian O'Connor? Uh, they're about the same. Because that's not an act. He no, really dislikes the Cubs that much. Yeah. He hates them. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Uh, other stuff around. Oh, just to break down some of that stuff. Uh, Nathan Evaldi uh, shutting down the New York Yankees. The Yankees, talk about struggling. They've lost four in a row. They're eight and a half games back in Boston right now. Evaldi going for the Red Sox yesterday against his former team, the Yankees. And he gets the win 4-1 to one yesterday. Uh, J.D. Martinez, his 33rd homer of the season. He leads all of baseball. J.J. or J. Reddick, um, J.J. Reddick with a, a homer 14 to nothing. Uh, the Astros beat the Dodgers yesterday. The Dodgers right now, they're in second place. They're a game back of Arizona. Uh, Travis Shaw, you heard the, the call there from Bob Uecker. A grand slam yesterday in a six-run first inning for the Brewers as they took care of Colorado. Brewers have now won four of their last six, and they wrap up their series with the Rockies today. I'm looking forward to, I think it's the 13th and 14th, or 14th and 15th, the Cubs and Brewers, the two-game series coming up. Yeah, so uh, that, that's in uh, about a week or yeah. so, and then the next month. So if we go to September, the Cubs and the Brewers have two three-game sets, right. uh, basically within three series. So the Cubs and Brewers play, and then the Brewers will play the Giants, I believe, and then they play the Cubs again. So one up in Miller Park, one in huge. Chicago. That's that's Those two uh, series, yeah. the three-game sets, that's going to decide the division. Yeah, they have eight games remaining, including those the two in a week or so, and uh, that's going to be interesting to watch with the Brewers and the Cubs as we get down the stretch here. Ken Rosenthal reported earlier from The Athletic that Angels manager Mike Sosha uh, going to step down when the season's over. Mike Sosha coming out and saying, eh, not so fast. So we'll <laughs> wait and see uh, exactly what happens there. Astros pitcher Lance McCullers, he left the game yesterday in uh, the fourth inning with the Dodgers. A right elbow discomfort. That's never good uh, for a pitcher as he leaves with some elbow discomfort. Houston never. right now, a five-game lead over Oakland. They're doing it right now. Correa's been hurt. Altuve's on the disabled list. And now if McCullers goes down, they've still won four in a row. They're 30 games over 500. They're 71 and 41. They are behind only only Boston in all of baseball with uh, victories. Um, let's see here. Red Sox, I mentioned. The Yankees are only three and a half games up on the Oakland A's for the wild card. Okay. And the Yankees, I know they've been without uh, Aaron Judge, but that's not... You shouldn't be in the tank because of just one guy. You still have, you know, a bunch of, you know, the, the Cubs are without Chris Bryant. Sure. Who's basically the Cubs' Aaron Judge in the past. And uh, the Cubs have still been able to win. The Yankees, unable to hang tight. They are now, as I said, eight and a half games back of the Red Sox. Well, and, and Fred, you mentioned the, the A's. How about the magical run they're on? I mean, what is this, the Moneyball Oakland Athletics making a run midseason all the way to the wild card? They've won 31 of 41, the A's Holy have. Holy cow. The A's are playing really, 
really good baseball. They would and, be in the playoffs as of today. Yeah. It would be the Yankees and the A's would be your wild card in the American League. They're ahead of the Mariners by two and a half games now. Yeah, the Mariners have struggled. They can't score any runs right now. They've been struggling big time. The A's have won five straight. So uh, that's the way it would look right now. You've got Boston in the East, Cleveland in the Central, the West to Houston, and the Yankees and A's would be the wild card team in the National League. Philadelphia is uh, up in the uh, East, a game and a half over Atlanta. Washington right now is six back. Cubs a one-game lead on Milwaukee. Arizona one game better than the Dodgers. And three back is Colorado. The uh, NL playoffs of Philly, the Cubs, and Arizona, your leaders. Milwaukee and Atlanta right now are your wild card teams with the Dodgers a half game back in the wild card. Uh, Colorado two and a half back. And you mentioned this, Chris. You have Pittsburgh and St. Louis both four back. Washington four and a half back. And the Cardinals, they're not giving up yet. They just claimed Tyson Ross, mm-hmm. the pitcher that pitched against the Cubs the other day for the Padres. They claimed him on waivers. So we'll see if that actually goes through uh, and if he you know, goes to St. Louis. The Pirates um, bring in Chris Archer, who didn't have a great game the other day, but they're only four back in the wild card. Yeah, they feel they can get there still. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at the standings in the National League wild card, you have the the Brewers are seven and ten, uh, seven and three in their last ten, and the four teams behind them are all five and five. Yeah, so you you can really see that a lot of these teams fighting for the wild card are up and down, up and down, up and down, and no one's really taking hold. And that's why the Cardinals four games back, the Nationals four and a half back, the Giants even, yeah, the Walking Dead five and a half games back, they still have a shot. Yeah, the Giants are still hanging around. And uh, so we'll see. I, you know, it's going to be fun the next couple of weeks in uh, baseball, how things play out. The White Sox are just playing it out, playing out the string, trying to get wins. It's funny how the White Sox are piping up. They got a series coming up with the Yankees okay, yeah. at home yeah, um, because they know that Yankee fans pack it in. Sure they do. Yankee fans come create like crazy. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all night games on the south side at Guaranteed Rate Field. They will have, they'll have between twenty eight and thirty five thousand, I'm thinking, for all three games because the Yankee fans know they can get seats, and there's a lot of Yankee fans here in Chicago. You don't see them walking the streets, but when the Yankees are in town, they all come out. And I'll I'll also throw this to you, Fred, uh, as a White Sox fan, the Twins, the Indians, and eh, the Tigers a little, but I hate the Yankees. Yeah. Yeah, I think most White Sox fans would yeah. say that the team they hate the most, yeah, obviously in division, yeah, you have your rivalries that that stand there. But when the Yankees come to town, when the Sox are good, yeah. you always want them to beat the Yankees more than you would say another team just coming into Chicago. Yeah. It, it, for some reason, it feels like it means a little more. I, I because because I'm old and I've seen the Yankees for a long time beat the White Sox. When I was uh, back in the day, they used to just have an American League and National League. There yeah. were no divisions or any right. of that stuff. And well, the White fight Sox, for the pennant, Fred. yeah, the White Sox would lose to the Yankees like yeah every other year. Because White Sox finished second, the Yankees are first, and it would happen like new a couple times. And every time the Yankees came here, it was the biggest days. I remember they had a bat day one time in like seventy two or seventy three, and you know, um, do you still have the bat? No, but they okay. used to make the mistake. They would never do this now. They used to make the mistake. They would give the bats to you yeah. as you walked in. Yeah, so you could. Maybe uh, use the bat. Well, and they would pound the bats on the on the railings. And, yeah. you know, each of the bo- back in the day in old Comiskey Park, they like every box seat 
every set of boxes of uh, eight or ten seats had rails around them. Right. So they would take their bats and pound the. <laughs> they had fifty five thousand on bat day against the Yankees. It's like you know, and nobody was, at least as that I recall, nobody was killed. Yeah, there were hopefully no, not. Nobody was maimed, but it was the loudest game you'll ever be at because people were just banging the bats on the on the railings the whole game, and it was fifty five thousand people. That's when baseball was baseball on the south side when you packed them in like that at the old old comiskey park and um that was fun yeah well you know throw the bats on the field or the pretzels whatever well, you got you here get, come the pretzels yeah now you get like a coupon and right. then on the way out you can grab your bat yeah right or, I, I don't I, think they have bat days anymore do they i don't know i'm not a little kid so i don't really know what's going on like right now but bat days yeah but i remember being a child you know in the early 90s yeah. the the mini bat was cool yeah, was i remember cool. that yeah, and, and it plus, would have like a player's name on it or the logo yeah. or and then whatever once you, it was. Then once you got a car, you used that in your car just in case you came into a situation. Yeah, well, yeah, yes. If you're rolling up on someone <laughs> and you want to be like Jalen Rose and, and pull and pop the trunk and, and pull the bat out, sure, Fred. Yes. If that's well, no, where, you know, where you're going. You never know when someone's gonna, you know, in these in these troubled times. You never know when someone's <laughs> these gonna troubled times. Someone's going to, you know, cut in you these off. And, troubled times. You know, you've you've heard of road rage before. Yes, but so I'm not you, gonna bring a mini bat to the park. Well, yeah, that's probably not good enough, is it? <laughs> not unless it's like a Dick Allen mini bat, which would still be Dick yeah, Allen. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah, so was, which would still can be I, big, big enough. Can I ask a question about Dick Allen? Yes. Being uh, being the young, uh, smart blank that I am. Yeah, Why? just so you know ahead of time, before you ask the question, no, I know. My, my dad yeah, was no, the I executive know. producer of the Dick I know, Allen I know. show I know. on TV. Just so I let you know. Let me ask this question. Uh-huh. How many years did he play for the White Sox? Not many. Okay. Two and because, a half, maybe. Because you... Jonathan Hood, noted White Sox fan. Yeah. All White Sox fans in this city talk about Dick Allen. And one day I like took it upon myself to just look it up yeah. on, on baseball reference. And I was like, three seasons? Yeah, it's not what? much. Yeah. He got hurt. Um, right, like it was only three seasons, right? Yeah. Three seasons, 72, but 73, he won 74. the MVP, though. 37 homers, 113 RBIs. Here, talk about slash lines. Mm-hmm. His slash line was 308, 420, and 603. Pretty good. Yeah, that's that would have played. Uh, <laughs> yeah, would have played. Yes. That would have played either, <laughs> even in this base. And the other two years with the White Sox, he had 316, 394, 612, and then 301, 375, 561. So he he hit, he was over 300 all three years. Mm-hmm. He had he led the league in homers two of the three years. He was hurt in his um, in the second year. He only played 72 games. And I don't. I'm not remembering all this. I'm looking at the stats. No, I know. I just uh, as being a listener and hearing people who are White Sox fans talk about Sox history. You always hear Dick Allen come up. Yeah. And one day I just sat down and I looked it up for myself, and I was like, "Oh, three seasons. Wow. Oh, okay. All right. Well, and you know what it is? It's it's because they never had a guy like that. Sure. They, and he was also on the cover of Sports Illustrated, right. and he was he won the MVP. And I, I get it. Yeah. They never had a guy like that. Um, you know, Dick Allen had an interesting career in Philadelphia. He he was the first guy that actually wore a baseball helmet mm-hmm. on the field at his home park because he would write in the dirt things that we can't say on the air. Sure. Because he didn't like the fans, and they would throw stuff at him. So he actually would wear the helmet on on the field. Yeah. And then other other players did that as they went along and things like that. But yeah, he was uh, one heck of a player, and uh, he nobody swung a bat as fast as he did. And when he hit home run balls, he went out. Like so quickly, but uh, yeah, I can talk about him forever, and I think I probably have just by 
um, by you know you knowing all the stuff that I said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, we'll 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 talk more about Brian Urlacher. We'll wrap things up. We're here till the top of the hour. You want to jump in three one two three three two three seven seven six. Callers, hang in there. It's Chris Black, Fred Hubner here on ESPN one thousand. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000. Welcome on in. Chris Black, Fred Hubner, wrapping things up. We've talked a lot of Brian Erlacher. We've talked some Cubs baseball, a little bit of White Sox baseball. They've actually won a couple in a row. Low-scoring games, where they're getting three straight nice-pitched games with uh, Ronaldo Lopez, Giolito, and then last night, Carlos Rodon. He's just got to button his jersey up a little bit. He's got the jersey like unbuttoned like to midway down his chest. You, my wife would, goes, you would say that. My wife goes, what's he doing? I go, I guess he's showing off his hairy chest. I said, I would too, but I have, <laughs> I have no no hair. <laughs> oh, I was just going to go to this color, and he, he hung up. So, talking what, about... What did the caller want to say? Talking right? about one of the most underrated, underrated huh. sports movies... Uh, you know, because because I'm a soccer guy, and yeah. you are too, actually. You, mm-hmm. you you don't hide the fact, but uh, I don't think people think of you as a soccer guy. Um, there was a game today. They call it the Charity Shield game in Manchester City. I know Abdallah was happy. He was probably listening. He probably had a wager on it. Uh, mm-hmm. Sergio Aguero scored twice. They beat Chelsea 2-0. Uh, the season starts next Friday with Manchester, Manchester United against Leicester yeah. on Friday. Yeah, I can't wait. It all so, starts. so next uh, next Sunday morning, we'll have a preview for the champion or for the Premier League season. Yeah, the games will be going. So on. All the games will start next week, Saturday, Sunday, yep. Friday afternoon, because they have the. It's kind of like uh, here in America with uh, Thursday night football, how the NFL season starts with that primetime game. Yep. that's what they do with Friday afternoon. Although no one's really available to watch said game, so it's kind well, of annoying. Here, here, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, but we're, we're over the there. important ones, right? Like, I, yeah. who cares over there? Of over there, where they're, they're actually playing the games, yeah. it's evening. So. We're the important market to soccer. Yeah. Uh, international soccer teams are more concerned with the American dollar than they are with anyone else. Well, So so that's why there's a game on Friday afternoon. Man, you will uh, start the season off. And look, here we go. Uh, Premier League soccer kicks off next week. Next thing we know, the NFL will be back. College football will be back. Uh, the fall is here, and here we go. Bundesliga plays coming up. That's the German Soccer League, and we'll be watching that. And You know, it's funny because you talk about a lot about football. So you say you just want your football on Sundays and Monday nights. Yeah, give it to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, English soccer, they play Friday, Saturday, yeah, Sunday, and they always have Monday games. Yeah, Mondays, yeah. So they play four days of the week, and people wonder why, you know, their games are so spread out. And then, you know, you know, they play cup tournaments, then they play well, other then, tournaments. And then in, in December with Boxing Day and all this stuff oh. that goes on where they start playing games on Tuesdays and Wednesdays to I fit know. in extra games because of the other games. There's a lot of games. Just imagine four years from now, we'll be trying to figure out exactly how oh. they're going to do this uh, when they're playing the World Cup in November and yeah. December. Well, and Cutter, yeah, yeah, that's going to be terrible. Yeah, it is. I mean, the, it's it's already uh, been a bad situation them trying to set up the uh, the World Cup, but I don't need the the World Cup is necessary in the summer because it's it's fun to have something to do for that month. Right, like in December, we have all the all the entertainment other, we need. Every other sport's going to be playing. Yeah, we don't you're need be World having, Cup soccer right. in December. You're going to have uh, the NBA, the NHL. Right. You're going to have the NFL and college football all going on. And then your hot stove. Yeah. 
Well, so, I mean, you'll have on. celebrations from somebody. Yeah, right. So yeah. it's yeah, it will be a mess. I, I guess I'm there, missing but. this. There's a game actually today, a uh, friendly game. Manchester United is playing uh, Bayern Munich, two of my favorite teams. I know I'm a front runner. What can I tell you? Yeah, why not? Yeah. So uh, I'm actually going to Bayern Munich uh, at the end of the month. So I'm excited to see what it, that'll look like. With the Chicago Fire, right? Yeah, the Fire play. Uh, maybe they'll win a game before then. They've lost six in a row. <laughs> they they play a big game actually Wednesday. They play their U.S. Open Cup semifinal. Uh, if they win that, they host the uh, U.S. Open Cup final. They play right. Philadelphia on Wednesday. So a lot of their guys rested yesterday. They lost 2-1 to one to Real Salt Lake. So that was a tough one. And uh, I get to talk about it with Frank Lopez tomorrow morning. And uh, the podcast will be out on uh, Chicago-Fire.com uh, Tuesday. That's awesome. Like that. um, yeah. Can whatever the MLS did in Atlanta sprinkle that across the country? That'd because be nice. if you watch the All-Star game, yeah. holy cow, the packed stadium. Yep. People in Atlanta love MLS soccer. It's really cool to see. It is. It's great. It's just, and they're going to play a World Cup game there in in, in twenty twenty six. I just wish that all of the uh, MLS teams would have arenas that had grass and not artificial turf because nobody likes playing on it. And one of the reasons that one of the biggest stars in the league, Ibrahimovic, didn't play is because artificial turf. Yeah. And they, you know, those guys that come over from Europe don't want to play on that stuff. No, the, the best, best players in the world want to play on real grass. Yeah, That's hard, just how it is. Hard recovery time. Thanks to Kevin Fishbane from The Athletic, Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. Also, uh, thanks to Brett Taylor from Bleacher Nation. Chris, we'll see you next week. See you later, Fred. Why is Jesse here? What's going on? I don't know. He's, right. he's got, he can't, the Cubs don't play till later. <laughs> so, thanks you, for Fred. listening. Uh, thanks to Felix Reyes. You've been listening to ESPN 1000. Hi, Jesse.